Yo, what's up, guys and gals? Tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by Option Studios. Nick, who's Option Studios? Option Studios, also uh, PullUpCords.com, also WindBlades.com, is that right? I think so. Ah, they do custom all that stuff. So yeah. custom jerseys, custom pull-up cords, custom wind blades. Uh, Justin today, rocking the beautiful I TRC am. jersey. Yeah, almost, uh, almost all my jerseys are Option Studio jerseys. My Thanks to their gratuitous sponsorship. My closet's <laughs> the same way. <laughs> but I, they're, they're yeah. man, I love them. I, I uh, have a hard time wearing the jerseys that are, are made by other companies. Like just so. just the side like vent breathing part of it that freaking changes the game right there. You haven't got they're to jump so in yours very much either, have you? Not very much, no. Man, so the jersey pants combo or jersey shorts combo is what all the cool kids are doing. Ah, and uh, I don't do that. I didn't do that until um, I started jumping the... I'm a little too heavy for that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to sit fly with me on my belly. So you know I will. You know uh, I will. I know you will. But uh, no, man, they're super comfortable. The length's good. The fabric's good. Uh, holds up well in free fall. Some of the things that Adam did in design is, is that vented side is, A, it just breathes in the summer, but a lot of the things we wear balloon up in free fall, and that tends to help them ride a little bit. It breathes, it vents, it flows a lot better. The length, uh, thats I've heard so many jumpers say, like, I like this jersey, it stays down. And if you compare it to most jerseys, if not any other jersey on the market, for the fit, it's also going to be, be one of the longest, if not longest. So it stays down below those waist or leg straps or whatever you're securing them down with, man. Uh, yeah, I commonly have a problem with others where they come up on opening and mm -hmm. you can potentially have an obstruction with your handles or whatever, and it's super uncomfortable. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't have that issue with the option. Dude, when I'm teaching in classes, I'll raise my hand like I'm flying a canopy, and I'm showing everybody my belly button, and it's like, you don't want to see that lint trap. <laughs> and for real, as silly as it is, when I'm teaching, wearing jerseys sometimes is nice because as I move around, get up, get down, it still stays where it belongs, and I'm not sitting there showing you my muffin top rolling out. So uh, Option Studios, check them out, pull up doors. Pull up doors. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's better than pull cords up. Just don't spell uh, it. Pullupcords.com <laughs> is our primary uh, uh, place on the interwebs. But you can also find them on Instagram, on uh, Facebook, uh, social media, Option Studios, Pull Up Cords, all sorts of names. Check them out. Adam Buckner does a killer job. Uh, our great friends, Jump for the Rose, do not actually uh, advertise. They're actually not a sponsor of the show, but we do sponsor them. They are such wonderful ladies. Uh, Marion Sparks owns and founded Jump for the Rose. It's a nonprofit organization uh, that raises money specifically for the Rose. Nick, what do you know about the Rose? The Rose is an organization that gives um, support to women who don't have <coughs> who don't have insurance to get uh, help with with breast cancer. And I do know that they do also take women who have insurance and that every woman who goes there gets treatment and has insurance pays for a woman who doesn't have insurance, which is super cool. Uh, you're going to have to get a, a uh, what do they call those? I was going to say an Instagram, a mammogram, <laughs> right? Mammogram, you're yeah. going to get a mammogram. Why I'm not go post my mammogram on Instagram? Right, right there. <laughs> I'm going to follow you then, man. That's cool. On the socials. <laughs> on the social. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Uh, Nick hates the word social, and, and I've made Only it my because I don't want to be that ever. <laughs> you you want to be social. Uh, check, uh, check out the Rose in general. Go to them for your mammograms and help support ladies who don't have insurance. I think it might be a two-to-one or three-to-one process, Nick, not one-to-one. -one. But no yeah, matter what. I know it's at least one-to-one, -one, but yeah, uh, I know Marion's mentioned it before. But uh, regardless, you're still you're still helping women who otherwise wouldn't get that help. And do what I do: donate. Use Amazon Smile. They've now integrated it to where Smile is my default, and I don't have to 
constantly say smile.amazon.com, you can change your settings to where it's automatically Amazon Smile and anything eligible for can donation I to jump for the rose will automatically be donated to them. Can I go back to the app now is what you're telling yes. me? Yes. Yeah. Nice, man. This used to be a pain in the butt. You used to have to just use the website on your phone, but now Amazon has made it easy. I think like 0.05% or 0.01% goes back to the cause. Uh, last year, I think $500-ish got raised by jump or for Jump for the Rose by us shopping through Amazon. Uh, admit it, you all shop on Amazon. You all take a uh, two-day shipping. You're all lazy like me. Uh, <laughs> you're not paying any more. They're, uh, uh, they're not paying anything for this donation. I'm positive if everybody would tell a friend and everybody would convince their friends to use smile.amazon.com. Register for your charity of choice. Uh, I much prefer it be Jump for the Rose, helping ladies, helping helping save the boobies. What a noble cause, man. Who doesn't love boobs? Man, I don't. I communist. Don't I don't want to meet that person. Monsters. Actually, I think communists like boobs, too. Yeah, well, even them. Check them out, jumpfortherose.org. Donate. Wait for the uh, Jump for the Rose boogie. It comes out every fall, October-ish. Uh, till then, we got Nick Reyes on the show tonight. He is passing through. You know him. He's a crazy kid. He learned to skydive here, but he travels the world. We're going to talk a little bit about where he's going, where he's been. Enjoy the show. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'll kill her. Utah, give me two. Ah! You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen. Hopefully he got caught. Oh my god. Yo, Nick <laughs> Best <laughs> intro ever. <laughs> How you doing, Mr. Reyes? <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> Thanks for tapping me on the hat. <laughs> oh my god. Guys and gals, we got Mr. Nick Reyes here in town. Sorry for a little bit of a late start. We were warming up, catching up. Uh I was totally on time. Dude, he was on time as fuck, right? We always tell people, be here at 645. We do a little powwow, and people get here later than that. At the button, you were here, man. It's good to see you, bro. What's new? Mm. Besides getting blow rocks. These socks are pretty new. (laughs) Those those socks look comfortable. Is that smart wool? Dude, these are so smart. They don't even match, you child. Yeah, well, (laughs) nothing's changed. When you buy 16 16 pairs of them, and half of them are different, you Oh, but they're the same. They're same, same, but different colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wait, are are half the pairs different or just like the left side's different? Uh, Sometimes the right side's different, so (laughs) it just kind (laughs) of depends on the day. (laughs) You just grab two socks and run. Yep. You you should never buy left and right socks. They make those things. <laughs> you, you would be fucked. Yeah, you know, I uh, I love spending money on nice socks. Like yeah. I love to just throw away all my old shitty socks and go buy all new socks. Oh yeah, nothing and better. I go to Journeys because I like their stupid tiny no <laughs> girl socks. <laughs> but, you sweet uh, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And they have some sick teeth. They have some sweet <laughs> colors of these socks, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I want to have super fun colored socks." And then I imagined my morning routine of like stumbling around. Like sometimes I can't find two of the same socks, and all my socks look exactly the same. And I was like, "Man, I'm not gonna find like look for another red sock. That's gonna ruin every morning I'm ever gonna have." <laughs> so yeah, I, I would do the same thing. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. 
Fucking who gives a shit? I'm not going to hold it against you. You put him inside his shoes. Nobody gets to see him anyways. Hey, welcome back to Texas. Hey, thanks, man. It's okay to be back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a whole bunch of okay in Texas. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's cool. It's Texas. It's humid as fuck. And Do you, you still notice it when you come back? Oh, yeah, for sure. But you grew up with this stuff, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Where, and where were you before this? Uh, Denver. Denver. Very Slash dry in Denver. Moab. Also very dry in Moab. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could feel it. Mm-hmm. What were you doing back there? <laughs> mm, man, we we just doing a lot of base jumping, man. Base jumping. A little bit of skydiving. The season's picking up, so we did some, some sky jumps. Dude, you've uh, you've been traveling a lot lately. I, you, so many people get into skydiving full time because I want to travel the world and skydive, and very few of them actually do that. And you, you've seen that yourself, but mm-hmm. you've actually been doing it, man. Yeah, we we're doing some running around. The normal shenanigans. We'll shoot the shit tonight. I, I got no doubt we'll be far off track with Nick Reyes, but just some ideas of what we want to do tonight. Where you've been the last couple months, the base jumping scene, especially talking about uh, Moab and, and some of the skydiving. You've been in Norway. You're going back to Norway. Uh, you've swooped some really cool things. You're known for doing some really stupid stuff. <laughs> so we're going to kind of just explore your journey for the last year, if you don't mind. Yeah, cool. Um, dude, wh- uh, base jumping, what you up to? Um, well, when I first got back to Moab in the, begin- or, uh, the end of September, it was still decently warm. So we we're just doing your regular standard three to 400 foot tall base jumps. Sometimes a thousand foot overall, sometimes just your three or four hundred foot overall. And that was all really cool. Turkey boogie and stuff like that. Lots of friends around doing some jumping. And then as it got colder, you don't want to spend near as much time under canopy because, well, your hands start getting really cold and wearing gloves on base jumps is less than ideal, at least for us anyways. We didn't give a shit to be wearing gloves. So our 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 exit points started getting lower and lower as it got colder and colder. So for like pretty much all of well half of December, most of January and February, it's just been like low static lines and PCAs and just get the canopy out real quick and and land sort of jumps. So what what does low mean to you? Uh like 200 feet and lower and lower. Yeah, two two hundred to a hundred. So our, our oh, lowest, the, the lowest exit point wow. that that we did was ninety nine feet to impact, and then another forty fifty feet of talus. So technically, it's like one hundred forty hundred fifty overall. Uh, but to where if you will hit, it was it was ninety nine feet, and uh, that was that was exciting. So that's just, you got to do a static line, yeah. Yep, yeah, static lines, PCAs. So. We'll send as many PCAs as we can, and well, last person who's by themselves is obviously going to take the static line. And so, how do you? What are you securing a static line to? Uh, anything from like big rocks and boulders to small bushes and trees that are close by. So, but so, how? What, what attaches the pilot chute to the to that object? And how so does it clear? we'll tie it like a piece of uh, five fifty cords, like paracord. Tie it to whatever our anchor point is: a, a tree, a bush, a big rock. Uh, if if we really need to and we have the means, you can tap in a bolt. It's like basically what you would tie a quick draw into for climbing. You just drill a bolt in on on the flat and tie a lanyard to that, and that's your anchor point. Um, use the paracord, tie off to the end, and then your brake cord 
to your to your bridle, so to the lanyard, and then boom. Brake cord is is a term a lot of people aren't familiar with. What is brake cord? So that's like, it's a it's a piece of material. It's 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 basically like a really shitty shoelace, and um, it breaks at about seventy pounds, and we'll tie two loops on with fisherman knot, and then send her off. Man, Boy Scouts taught you something worthwhile. You yeah, learned man. your knots, man. I never thought I'd need to know knots until I started skydiving and, and sewing and rigging. Yeah, you know the, the saying, a knot neat knot need not be tied? Do that again. A knot neat knot need not be tied. A knot need not need not be tied. Yeah. yeah, and, that's, way, yeah. and if you can't tie a good knot, tie a lot. <laughs> 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 tie Nick Lot. Wait a minute. Where are they? Hey. Hey, 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 over here. So Moab, a, a question a lot of people, or th- I think not everybody realizes, is in America. I think most of us know base jumping is very difficult to find legally. Uh, Perrine, Idaho, the, the bridge there, it's, it's legal year-round, so it's one of the best-known spots. But a lot of people don't realize Moab is regularly legal, or is, is legal year-round. What yeah, parts and, and what makes it? So I, base jumping is pretty much legal in all of Utah, as long as you're not inside of a national or state park. So you pretty much have free reign to do whatever you want to with the public lands. Uh, so like BLM land and stuff like that, you can do whatever you want. And are there any other states that are that way that you know of? Not that I know of, no. Maybe so Washington. I think those guys have some legal cliffs. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know base jumping. No, I have no clue. Most of my base jumping is in Moab and like now in Norway. And, and Norway is pretty happy with base jumping outside of parks and stuff like that. So like the troll wall is technically in a park, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's pretty illegal to jump the troll wall now. You can even get, you can get in trouble for just hiking with a stash bag. So I've heard the troll wall before. What is the troll wall? Uh, it's a bit further up north in Norway, and uh, I think it's just called Trollwagen. Okay, so it's the name of the area. Mm-hmm. Is there any like bay jumps that I would know it for? Like I've seen it in this video. Just the, the troll wall. Okay. Uh, I think they did some of the. Um, the Soul Flyer stuff, the the free fly base jumping, okay, and stuff like that. When that started coming around, I think some of the jumps were done off the troll wall, but I, it, they are some of the biggest, more iconic jumps in the world. Yeah. Really, it's it's an incredible place. And I, have you seen um, Sunshine Superman? Yeah. So, the troll wall is where Carl Banish actually went in. That's where he died uh, jumping. So that that area you know I, I both that both references get me there. very very angry looking mountain that just looks so inviting dude it's oh, so man. crazy. <laughs> is that why it's illegal now the people that have, have died there uh yeah well partly because people are dying there and mostly because the rescues are a real pain in the ass mm-hmm. uh, apparently they just don't like dealing with it it's a very difficult access even with a helicopter and stuff like that the terrain is just not forgiving so how, how do you how do you feel about uh, about base jumping accidents with your experience in it now? Um, good question. I've <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's like I've I've seen some accidents. I've seen a few things. Uh, I've only really been a part of like one rescue. I've been around for some some rescues, like during during Turkey Boogie especially. Uh, and I think the biggest thing there is just like. You have so many visiting jumpers uh, coming out to jump, and a lot of people are really eager 
and hungry for base jumps, limited time. So sometimes you'll push. Maybe you're making bad decisions because you're just there and it's a short, short amount of time. Exactly. And, you know, you kind of also got to think about like a lot of these traveling jumpers, like get to jump a couple times a month, you know, so currency is a thing. Um, Just being in a new environment is a thing. Uh, Being pressed for time and willing to push the conditions to get those jumps in can put you into some shitty situations. Uh, but I mean, for the most part, for the amount of jumps that are happening in Moab, I think, I think the base jumping community is doing a pretty good job about not getting hurt. And a lot of times when base jumpers do get hurt, a lot of times it'll be a self-rescue rather than quickly calling search and rescue or calling the police like, oh my God, we need help. Uh, my friend's stuck on a cliff and he broke his leg. It's like... All right, we need we need some ropes, we need some harnesses, blah blah blah. We need this, and you know, just like with skydiving in the base jumping community as well, we have a lot of guys that are like nurses and doctors and first responders that are usually around. Uh, so we kind of have people that we can call within the community, and for the most part, do a lot of self rescues rather than having to ask people to be taken care of. Uh, but yeah. Has any of that changed the way that you feel about base jumping? No, I mean, yes, it has. Does it make me want to stop base jumping or slow down? Not exactly. Or like, no, it doesn't. (laughs) I'm still stoked on base jumping. I love it. I like doing low jumps now. I like the big jumps. And you can't stop, won't stop. But (laughs) How many base jumps do you have? Uh, now about 600. Nice, man. I want to kind of tag on where you guys are, are going there. You say it doesn't make you want to stop. You say it doesn't make you want to not encourage do these things. For me, skydiving is a very similar thing. The more I've been around the sport, the more things I see that discourage me. Not discourage me from jumping, but just discourage me by seeing them. Um, I know what it makes me want to do, and I know what my choices are because of that. What What... Have have you changed your actions, your behaviors because of you seeing these things and being around it more? Uh, I I think yes, a bit. Yeah. Um, I also I, I do my base jumping a little bit different than some people do. Some people will, will like run really hard on the exit. Some people will not run as hard and not try to get that amount of exit separation. And and for me, that's kind of the biggest thing. And then knowing your exit point, uh, profile, consequence, landing area, blah, 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 everything in between. It, like Just like with a skydive, you need to analyze it from exit to landing to walking back into the hangar. For the base jump, you need to analyze your exit point, the profile of everything that's below you, your canopy flight, your landing area, and then getting back to the car as well. Because just because just you did a base jump and you landed safely and you're walking around, that doesn't mean that your adventure's over. You got to get back to the car. It's like we did a jump into what's called uh, Icebox Canyon in Moab. And the first jump we did, it was uh, a 150-foot jump. So we did static lines and PCAs. And the landing area was pretty tight, marginal. Uh, It was like up on a hill in sand. Uh, so it wasn't bad by any means, but it's definitely not a place that we would take uh, uncurrent jumpers or less experienced people to, uh, just because if you if you don't make the good landing areas and you're landing in trees, 
Um, the the canyon that we jumped into was a canyoneering route, so it's like from the top starts a waterfall, and that was the 150 foot drop. Mm-hmm. Then it goes down to a couple of other waterfalls and just shit you don't want to have to deal with. So the three of us jump, we land. Woo, that was sick. All right, let's try to find our way out of here. Um, and we tried to walk down through the wash, and we got to like a 40, 50 foot waterfall, just straight cliff edge. There was no climbing down this, getting a tree. We didn't have any climbing ropes or anything with us to repel. So then we're just like, all right, now what? And when we were on the exit point, was looking down, I was like, I don't think we can walk out there, but we might be able to find another base jump out at the end of the canyon, which was right at the road where where we had parked to start the hike anyways. So we get we get cliffed out, and we're like, all right, let's go check if that's a base jump or not. And we hiked back up to the top and uh, to the top of the base of the canyon, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and then walked out over to the road, um, and we found a cliff that was jumpable, uh, but it turned out this cliff to impact was only 108 feet, um, which was kind of funny because our uh, my buddy that that came with us, um, the two of us, we've been jumping together a whole bunch uh, through all of winter. Uh, And other buddy that comes with, he's like, if I'm coming with you guys to jump, I'm not jumping any 100-foot exit points. And we're like, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm pretty sure this one's pretty big. And uh, we didn't anticipate the next one. So we get there, and we've been running around with a a rangefinder. So we're always trying to get some numbers on, on what we're jumping to make the right decision on whether or not something is jumpable. And we show up, and laser it and just start laughing we're like 108 feet it's not 100 <laughs> it's not 100 but it's 108 <laughs> so, range finders i just it's changed so much man the world yep and like man our range finder is very basic it's uh you point it over and it tells you how many yards you are from that point there's range finders that will like do the trigonometry for you and you can be at the base and laser one point and then laser the next one and it'll tell you the vertical distance. So it'll do the Pythagorean theorem and all that other stuff yeah. for you and give you the numbers uh, for that. And you can really start to get meticulous. And Man, you're getting a lot of syllables out in one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. Who are you? <laughs> same, same, but different. Oh, man. Um, this this journey, and it's interesting to listen to you talk this way because as young Nick Ray is, you always came up very eager, at least through our sport, right? Um, and you were a lot more thought out than some people would give you credit for, but you weren't as thought out as you needed to be either. Neither was I as a young jumper. Right, right. You know, it, it's true of a lot of us, but now turning around, some people would say they would never believe they'd hear this out of your mouth. I think most of us believed you'd talk like this one day. <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting. Ha, since all this has gone on, have you taken new base, jumper unders, base jumpers under your wing now? Um, not exactly. I've never taken anybody for their first base jumps yeah. or been a, a base mentor. Um, I've done a lot of like taking base jumpers to exit points. Some of them are definitely less experienced, um, but never like anything brand new. Like when KDP showed up to Moab, she had all of like 25, 30 base jumps somewhere in there and uh, ran around with her for a bit and was taking her to some exit points and yeah. stuff like that. So that was, that was kind of cool. And, you know, we're always kind of like treating the new new jumpers to Moab like they are just new jumpers and 
pointing out certain things to think about and blah 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 gear and so really the the people you're talking about uh, just from your my picture are, are the equivalent of people we would call recently licensed jumpers correct yeah um so at that point you're you are really mentoring still yeah I mean, it's let's be real. It's I guess that's what would like in 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 skydiving would be like the difference from coaching and instructing. Like it's it's very marginal, but the instructor definitely has more say and more do than like what what the coach does as far as the role and the ladder is concerned. I guess absolutely, but at the same time, so many jumpers are really made in the people they meet into twenty five to one hundred jumps. I've watched so many jumpers start into the sport and you see one version of them and they meet this other dude over here like oh yo nick lot dude we're gonna be homies and next thing you know i walk around acting like nick i grew a beard like him i got all these tattoos like him well you know you get the idea <laughs> sounds awful yeah dude How, did that hurt oh god i hope you <laughs> die later <laughs> show us the tattoos what do they mean <laughs> uh, so uh back to it i believe that's where people's their their journey really begins. So you really in that process are more of a mentor, I think, than you realize. What are you telling people to do differently that you than what you did? Because I'm sure you're doing things differently. Whether it's more thought out, whether it's you're definitely taking risks and having fun jumps. Are you telling people anything differently? Um, compared to my progression, yeah, and people that are trying to get into base jumping, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I when I did my first base jump, I had four thousand skydives. And did a base jump off of a cliff in Moab. And then I left to Australia. When I came back and the next season in Moab, I was like, I want to keep base jumping. And so we just picked up from where we left off and just kept base jumping in Moab. And I don't like, think that's an unfair way at all with your history. 4,000 jumps. Getting to yeah. Base and, and like a lot of a lot of my skydiving was like, it was really focused on canopy stuff. Yeah. And... For base jumping, I think anybody that wants to get into it or is even thinking about it should take the canopy part into consideration because any, anybody can jump off of a cliff or jump out of an airplane, but can you fly a parachute properly and land it safely and be able to do it again? That's going to be the biggest thing of whether or not you can keep on going and keep progressing in the sport. So hold on a second. I, that's, I love that statement. I want to park for a second. Uh, Perrine, where a lot of people are recommended to go and make their first base jump, is 480-some-odd feet. So if I leave static line or PC-8 off a 486-foot-tall thing, how long is my canopy ride going to be? 20 seconds? Uh, de I'd say depending on the size of the canopy, but for the most part, you should get about somewhere between 20 and 40 seconds, So depending on how you fly it, obviously. So that And that's a long ride in most base jumps. Yeah. So you're going to have 20 to 40 seconds to learn how to fly this new canopy. Man, you, you mentioned uh, take the canopy part seriously. What should I do as a skydiver to prepare myself to get into base jumping with canopy work? Um, I usually tell people to find some sort of a seven-cell canopy, uh, whether it's like a Spectre or a Navigator, not a Navigator, a Pathfinder or even a Storm is fine. Uh, I help people, people skydive Ravens as yeah. well. If you want to find a reserve and jump the shit out of that, that's going to be the most realistic practice of those. You're at least you're on a seven cell platform, big, lightly loaded canopy. Which, when you go to base jumping, that's exactly what you're flying. There's only a few things that are going to change, and that should translate easy enough. Mm -hmm. But you know, like my base canopy is is a two thirty, and 
Like it's massive, you know, 0.7, 0.8 wing loadings max for the most part. And anything lower than that is just giving you a bit of margin for error. Um, but uh, yeah, big old fat seven cell canopies. And is that a pretty normal wing loading for a base jumper? Uh, yeah, usually in 0.7. What what's a what's a big like what's a, when you when someone says oh I'm flying a fill in the blank what's a really big base canopy? Uh, the biggest I've heard of is like a three hundred some, like three hundred some being three ten like or three nine for the app like it was this was a pretty big dude and mm-hmm. he was in the like three ten three twenty and loaded about point eight. I th- I want to say my first uh, I only did five so my only five base jumps were. I remember whatever size it was, it was one size more aggressive than they thought somebody should start on. But between Rory, myself, and Jason Hyder, it was they gave me the little bit more aggressive wing and Jason the the right choice. So I want to say it was a two sixty ish. Is a that a lot about? of a lot of the heavier guys are on two sixties? Yeah, yeah. Heavier being heavier than me. Yeah, yeah. Because you're a tiny fella. I'm a little dude. Yeah, yeah. How much do you weigh? Now I'm about a hundred. 50, 155. So I want to put that into context. If you want to get base jumping, her 50-pound dude is jumping to 230. That's bigger than I'd probably start you on in a student program. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, when I, my first, like, 100, 200 jumps in base jumping was all on um, a 265 on a Fox for the first 100 jumps. And then I bought gear and had a, a 240. Um did much change. I got more performance, and that, like, that's about it. Um, if somebody was like, hey, you want to go for a jump, and I don't have gear, and they have a 265 for me, yeah, sure, that's fine. It's going to get me to the ground safe. Uh, would I buy that? No, not particularly, just because I do want to have that extra bit of performance. Yeah. Um, but I, f- I feel like as long as you're for sure under, like, a one-to-one or a .9 wing loading, as long as you're under that, for the most part, you should be safe. And assuming you know how it works and what to do with it. Learn to fly canopy is such an important thing. And you, you mentioned these fluffy seven cells to, to fly. I think they're all, all good advice. But you can com- I commonly and regularly see uh, people learning to base jump or going to putting a base main in a skydiving rig. Yep. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing it all the time. Just do it, you know, before you're getting ready to skydive or yep. base jump. Yeah, and it's not it's not something that you would do for like a normal skydive. Like this is get out and pull. You know, especially like a lot of the canopies these days are being built out of the more lightweight materials and they inflate significantly faster, so the openings are pretty hard and it can hurt and and sometimes it, it could do damage. Um but I mean for the most part it's it's definitely manageable and you can deal with it um but you know just like with anything the more time you spend doing it the better you're going to get at it so if, if you can go up and spend a solid four to five minutes under canopy on on one jump and work on the same maneuver for those four or five minutes it's that, mu- that much more time that you have learning that one thing and then go do another jump and practice something else you know and then keep on going so I kind of have a spiel for, uh, let's say, our 30-jump our wonder who wants to be the next free-fly badass, right? Because they haven't figured out how it works yet. I'm going to go do a solo heads down. Yeah, exactly. That guy. You know exactly <laughs> who I'm talking about. So uh, th- those same people exist, but their dreams are, are base jumping, right? Someone with, you know, I have 30 jumps and I want to do th- 
I want to fly them squirrel suits down the side of some cliffs. Yep. <laughs> so what uh, for you, what is that? Like for me, that I see the scary person, 30 jumps, rental rig. You know, may- maybe they have a G3 that they just bought, but they're still borrowing somebody's altimeter. Like I know exactly what this person looks like. And I know what I'm going to tell them to uh, hopefully guide them towards a safe progression and keep them from, from making those those early mistakes. Do you, does that, uh, are those people that you interact with very much in, in the base jumping world? I don't think so, but have I met a few of them for sure? And, and do you have advice for, for those people? Let's just pretend there's one of them listening right now. Don't die. <laughs> <laughs> and how do they manage? Just suck less. Fuck, just don't <laughs> die. How do they manage this? How do, how do they make smart decisions and not die? Um, you know, it's kind of... It, all right, so there is one guy. He's, he's kind of popular inside of social media. And we don't have to say his name. His though. first trip to Moab got a lot of shit from the base jumping community just because of the way he was base jumping. And he was just getting pretty reckless, doing flips. Uh, first trip to Moab, you're doing flips. You've got all of like 30, 40 base jumps. That's pretty hectic sort of thing. And he was very much just like fuck you why aren't you just trying to help me you're just telling me not to do things you're holding me back sort of thing so like that kind of situation instead of being like hey this is why this is kind of a shit idea and maybe work on this first um he ended up just like leaving moab and then he came back uh was it two years later i saw him again and he was a very different base jumper and had a very different attitude towards base jumping and the way he was approaching it uh which was kind of cool um and we were just kind of like the guys that i was jumping with at the time were just like let's take into some exit points and see if he's gonna like try and back out or ask any sort of questions or if he's just gonna go full ham and just just give her the fucking beans and go nuts. <laughs> give her the beans. Give, give her the beans. Give her the beans. That's the thing. Is that what the goddamn kids are saying? I heard a guy say that once, and that's what comes back right now. Give her the just beans because it is so goddamn all right ridiculous. All gonna, from the tip to the beans. Yeah. <laughs> um, but got deep. Now, while he was still doing flips, he just the fact that he had a better attitude about everything uh, said a lot, and. Um, he had actually gained a bit more of experience and went back to a drop zone and did some skydives and worked on a few things uh, before getting back into it. So, like, after knowing and hearing about him for a while and then seeing him again during Turkey Boogie whenever it's, like, people are going nuts because it is a boogie and just his attitude towards it was pretty cool. Um, Is he less reckless? Yes. Is he still reckless? Yeah, <laughs> but it seems a little more calculated, which is nice, and he's paying attention to the right things. Some people will be led to that by your example. You know, I'll hang out with you, you and your crew are base jumping in a certain way. You guys are doing certain things. I'm like, hey, this is a good influence, and it scares me to say that that it's quite possible you've been a good influence on people. I just can't believe I said it. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, some people need the influence of spoken word. Some people need the influence of, of I, you've got to say something to them. And you can't always say it because no matter how nice you give them the advice, they're never going to hear it. If that person who just won't listen to the advice was sitting here right now and you could force it down his throat, what would you tell them? What, what, what short sentence could you say to, 
to get his attention. I made Nick think. Um. Uh, yeah, awkward. <laughs> think what, about that. When you said that, when you said I made Nick think, I was like, fuck, is he asking me a question? Because I'm fully <laughs> <out of context. laughs> Dude, uh, the, the description for the podcast was hashtag Nick X2. Nick way. Nick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you chew on that a little bit. I didn't want to throw, I didn't even throw you against the I wall. I saw there. it on the post I, and I had to carry it over to the video description. <laughs> fuck yeah, dude. I actually commonly uh, carry both of those back and forth if you're ever doing it, the hashtag parts. I'm lazy. Um, so you've been in Moab for the last, man, how many months? Three, four months? Um, yeah, pretty much since September, minus October. Mainly base jumping, mainly playing. Working at all? Uh, not really. I, I worked uh, I worked for October at Mile High uh-huh. um, doing tandems and a little bit of AFF. And then the beginning of the season in Moab, been doing just little things around the drop zone, just helping out. For the most part, they had their staff there to work. I'm leaving soon, so like... I just need a bit of money to keep getting by. Yeah. I'm take all of your guys' living money. And uh, it was like packing and helping, helping out around. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple tandems here and there, an outside video. Um, not too hungry, but get, geez, give me something to do. You'll help us. <laughs> you, you'll, keep the, you'll keep the burden off of us. Right. And we'll help you out keeping yep. the burden off of you. Yeah, no, th- th- those are great relationships to have. Uh, Mile High, I'm super interested in Mile High because I love the mountains, man. I, l- I love the idea of Colorado. I've never been. First of all, describe the scenery, the geography of where the, I've never been. Where is the drop zone? Um, t- the drop zone is about an hour north of Denver, uh, about 20 minutes from Boulder, and really close to the mountains, like you open up and fly straight into you're going to get lost in the mountains sort of <laughs> thing um driving you're maybe about 30 45 minutes from like state parks and stuff like that inside the mountains that have like really good hiking and uh climbing and stuff like that and um from the drop zone to any of the ski resorts is probably about two hours drive dang dude elevation at the drop zone is about six thousand feet uh almost almost 58 yeah, they're just like 58-ish, okay. 55, I don't know, yeah, mile somewhere. high, you know? Yeah, yeah, mile high is 5280, but I, uh, I they're know they're just, just over that. Yep. So let's say 55-ish. Yep. Uh, what are the tallest peaks to that? How how much higher do the mountains get? Uh, there's a handful, there's a, a couple of 14,000-foot uh, peaks within within eye shot from there. How high are you guys exiting from sea level? Uh, From sea level? Give me ground level if that's what you know. So we're usually doing... 12 to 13, so on top of that, so 17, 18. So you're definitely exiting above the mountains, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Man, it would be... Yeah, look, looking out over, is it's incredible. It's awesome. It would be so cool to skydive from 13,000 feet next to a 14,000-foot mountain. You know, how, how gnarly would that be? I think, isn't that the way... Uh, Tom Noonan, what's that place? Everest. Isn't that the way Everest goes? (laughs) What's that place? What's that most famous mountain in the world? (laughs) I know it by Tom Noonan. Congratulations, Tom. You're a famous mountain. (laughs) Um, uh, It's got to be worse ways in the world to be known as somebody who is is known as the Everest guy. That's a pretty cool way to go. Or the Everlast guy. Wait a minute. Um, So you're skydiving near mountains. Technically, you're in a valley. Uh, well, the front range is like pretty much just, it's just before the mountains start. What's a front range? So like when you look to the west, Uh it's just mountains. And when you look to the east, it's flat as Texas. (laughs) Okay. 
So it's it's like it just comes right up to, and then all of a sudden there's just massive rocks shooting straight out of the ground. So you're basically at the foothills of that that part. Yeah. All right. Um, one of the things we talk about regularly with, with canopies is the higher you go, the thinner the air density altitude, uh, the faster a wing flies because there's less drag. Mm-hmm. How much do you notice that? Um, so from the last time I was here, I would do a 450 in Moab on my 74 from about 1,200-ish feet, depending on the time of day, between 12 and 1,300 feet. And when I got here, I was doing the same turn from about 900 to 1,000 feet. So I'm taking anywhere from 200 to 300 feet off of my turn. And for, for Moab, it like definitely depends on the time of the day. In the morning, I would do the turn from about 1,200 feet. And as the day would go on, listen to air density altitude. Usually starts out at about four, five to 5,000 feet in the morning and will go up to six to 7,000 feet. And then I just start thinking, all right, let me bump this thing up at least a little bit mm-hmm. and start to notice it in the sight picture on the way through if I need to speed up or slow down the turn sort of thing for making corrections. Um, but when I got back here, I was like, all right, we're at sea level. I'll do this turn from like 1,100 feet. I'll take off 100 feet from what I usually do. It can't be that big a deal. <laughs> and uh, boy, did I come out high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I took off another 100 feet, did from 1,000. I was like, all right, shit, I'm still coming out really high. 900 feet. And just like, just setting up, thinking about, all right, I'm going to do the same turn from 900 feet. And like, heart actually starts going like, I'm low. Brain's freaking out. You're getting low, dude. You're getting low. You need to start turning. and just have to like, just forcibly remember, you're in a different place. This canopy's flying differently because of the air. And you just trust it. And then after a couple turns, it's like, <sighs> All right, cool. It's working. <laughs> I'm not going to pound in. Some would even say you're a canopy expert. I don't know who those <laughs> fools are. Some, yeah. But some would say this. <laughs> but yet, as somebody who is really good at flying parachutes, you can agree to that statement. Somebody who's done really well and been very focused at flying parachutes, you struggle with that performance. In other words, you have to think about it. You have to f- pay attention. Yes. Nick, did that, uh, the other Nick, Conscious sorry. competence. Uh, the Is that what you were going to ask? No, no, no. When you've moved from Utah to here. Uh-huh, yeah. I moved from Indiana to here, and it was only a 700-foot elevation difference, and it was just only a little difference on the turn, so I'm just playing out a little bit high, but the idea to commit to a lower turn is scary as fuck. Did you have that same Yeah, problem? I had to move my turn down maybe 250 feet. How long did it take you to do that after you moved here? A Gosh, couple of days, a week? No, I mean, uh, Stephen Rozier was here and had come from the same drop zone. Yeah. And had made that adjustment and he's you know he gave me pretty precise numbers of oh yeah i started my turn in utah at this altitude i started the same turn here and so i kind of i felt pretty good about it i I had jumped um in california uh not too too much longer before that and so i'd been used to the uh the difference in in sea level and, and elevation in utah so i was comfortable trusting the numbers that he gave me and you know in in utah it's like you rolling out of the turn i would feel just a lot more of that speed and see a lot more of the sink coming out through mm-hmm. through the the bottom of my turn and uh it just even looked very different here so it, it didn't take me long to to trust it but i think it took I, I only had 2000 jumps then so it wasn't uh as ingrained as it is when you when you start getting with the bigger numbers i guess it took me about a week and part of it is i just could not convince myself to turn lower even as i knew it 
it it bit it's bit me well enough that Dan McLaurin, my buddy up in Dallas, he uh, we were up running an AFF course and he'd watch me do two seventies on my Spectre and I was bumping out of the corner a little bit regularly, not always, but I, he'd look at me, and go yeah yeah yeah, and tease me. I'm like oh dude yeah, just a change from here to Dallas can catch you a little bit, and this conversation comes up because for what we do it's more obvious, right? But new jumpers, they don't think about how big of a difference going to mile high to skydive is. How may, how often have you seen a new a newer jumper, or less experienced jumper, come to mile high? You weren't there a long time, but you probably saw this from somewhere else and just eat shit because the landings are more challenging. Uh, I didn't I didn't really see it at mile high, but in Moab for sure. Yeah, especially like during the boogie. Uh oh. Because you've got so many traveling jumpers coming so, out too. They're like, oh yeah, offside jumps. This is gonna be sick. Oh, Moab. <laughs> <laughs> I like your making fun of idiots' voice. It's real good. It's like a Muppet. Yeah. Timeout. So how how what's the field elevation where you guys are at Moab? Uh, forty five. Okay, forty five hundred feet uh, is where the airport's at, and uh, you know air density can be anywhere from five thousand to seven thousand five hundred feet regularly, um, just depending on the time of the day. But like we. You know, a lot of people coming from sea level that never even jumped at like, uh, say, Eloy or any sort of elevation change at all, so they have no clue what to get, what they've just gotten themselves into. And we like really try to stress to them, like, look, you've literally just downsized when you when you got here. Um, I know you're jumping the same canopy, but you just downsized. Things are going to be faster. Just just keep that in mind and be aware of it. And all day, just late flares. Uh, finishing late, <laughs> tumbling, having to run like hell, and um, the first couple days of the boogie are always entertaining to to be on the ground looking out in the landing area, and then as time goes on, people start to think, oh, okay, like they weren't joking, and they start to make their adjustments and and do better as as the days go go on, which is pretty cool to watch. That probably makes for some good games games of uh, Biff Bingo. I was about to yeah, say. man, you know, you'd think, but like, we really don't play that much Biff Bingo. We just go out there and laugh. <laughs> 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 One of the funniest things, <laughs> the first uh, the first Moab Boogie that I went to in 2013 and um, just landed watching this dude come in. He passes me up, plants both feet. And a lot of times with the way the dirt is out there, you'll sink in about three to four inches into the ground, and then you catch the bottom of it. And he sinks in, catches, and it falls right on his <laughs> face. It's his full Superman slide. And when his canopy comes down, it's the Superman symbols on the bottom skin of his canopy. No <laughs> fucking way. <like>, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Man, I think that oh. adds some extra freestyle points to that move. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Did that shit on purpose. That is fucking <laughs> awesome, man. I love seeing those logoed wings that have Superman or Batman or some superhero on the bottom. I don't know why, but they make me smile. <laughs> Somebody needs to get John Reese a Captain America canopy. That's you, true. You yeah. know John Reese? Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, all you have to do is add yeah, the logo yeah. to the one he has. Dude, he, he puts, <laughs> he's got Captain America all over everything. Dude, he definitely loves Captain America, which, I mean, I don't blame the man one bit. I got Captain America slippers around here somewhere myself. Dude, that dude, that dude should be rocking a canopy. Um, Moab, Utah, or, or, or Mile High, the landings, you, you said people are basically downsizing one canopy. And to give you an idea, the math, and let's look back to what Nick has talked about, is about a 20% different in turn, difference in turn from Moab to here, Nick to here, uh, Utah to here. And it's, it's around the math, if you look at it, 
scientifically, you're going to go about 20% faster, about 15% is a downsize. So you're actually going just over a downsize. You hear people talk about this, and, and personally, anecdotally, it makes more sense. This is our fucking experience. But for some of us nerds, and, and I'm, I'm a nerd, you, you know these maths exist, man. And you watching people pound in, uh, plowing, really. It's, they usually ain't pounding as much as they're for a bit of a tumble and yeah, yeah. running real fast. A tumbleweed. Run, when you can run head. faster than what you thought, you're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> My legs don't go that quick. <laughs> is, there, is there gravel in your landing area that you can kind of slide your feet on at all? Uh, usually, yes. Ooh. But yeah, if, that, if that's not, gone. Not so much gravel. It's like, it's, it's like a weird, soft... Almost like sand. It's very, very similar to jumping on the beach. Okay. It's really weird. It's a really coarse grain reddish dirt. Uh, in the actual landing area, it's like a really dark, dark brown stuff. And okay. sometimes, like, some sections are almost black. Okay. That's one thing I don't even really think about because in canopy courses we talk about, hey, if you're going to go someplace like Mile High, consider upsizing. If you're, if you're new to a canopy, you want to be careful. Um, yeah, y'all don't have grass. In landing areas? No, not often. Mile High, um, when I was there in October, was one of the hardest landing areas I'd ever been to. The only other one harder than that was in Glenwood Springs, uh, Colorado. And, uh, man, in Glenwood, it's just like, just straight up just desert ground. Rocks, basically gravel with some like yeah. really shitty vegetation coming out of it. Um, so you really wanted to be on it. And that airfield is at 6,000 feet. And in the summer, when I was working there for a little bit and it was hot, we were dealing with like 9,000 feet air density. And uh, yeah, jumping, uh, were they 365, 370s, Sigmas, and sometimes having a hard time shutting them down, like when there's little to no wind or when it's just light and variable. You'd be on final and you're into the wind and all of a sudden it just switches real quick just just because... I don't know science. I'm not that. I don't. I don't. I can't tell you. <laughs> science. Uh, it's micrometeorology. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> no. Is that what you say to your student? Hey, science just fucked us. We might be going for a ride. <laughs> it's a micrometeorology thing. I don't expect you to understand. <laughs> it's uh, air gremlins. You yeah, yeah. You know what air gremlins are. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever seen that video, Justin? Tandem instructor landing, blaming it on the. Uh, no. There's air gremlins and there's one other one. There's two famous tandem landings that were videos. I think you know the other one. The, the old downdraft? Uh, that was I was about it. to say, I stayed uh, near Glenwood Springs for a while, starting up uh, gas plants in Rifle, Colorado. Like, pretty much right down the road. We used to go to the mm. hot springs and all that on the weekends. Yeah, that, that ground is not forgiving. It's not soft. It's all, <laughs> like, rock and fucking sagebrush. And yeah. Shit. Yeah. I remember that being a big adjustment when I got here to, to the grass of like I was so used more to itchy here. It's super itchy. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I got hold on, first story. I uh used to have to run out my landings because it was like super deserty where in our landing area in Utah. We had a very small section of grass, but it was really common that you were running it out on onto the dirt. So coming here to this nice grass, like you can slide your feet on this grass forever, right? But my my muscle memory was nope, you gotta you gotta keep your little legs running or you're gonna Go. eat shit in the dirt <laughs> and become just another tumbleweed in the desert. So, but so you call your legs little in your mind too? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tiny. I'm just I'm tiny. Little but, legs. But um <laughs> that we had we really had tumbleweeds in our landing area in Utah. And so you'd pick up thorns in your shoes and you'd be walking in and thinking, you know, oh yeah, it's just poking me, I'll I'll get get in and take my shoes off and pull the thorns out 
And so I was having this thought walking in from a jump here in our nice grass. And, I, and then I was halfway in when I thought, shit, we don't have any tumbleweeds here. And I looked down at what was causing this stinging uh, sensation in my feet. Ants. Fire ants. Yeah, my feet are covered in fire ants. I had slid my feet through an anthill and had already walked halfway in before I realized they were all in my shoes, up my socks, in my jumpsuit. Super cool. Love fire ants. He definitely knowing your local hazards. So, something good to know. Um, what what else is unique to the uh, to the, the Moab landing area? Are there any uh, super cool or super sketchy things there? Uh, you land right next to the power lines. That's kind of cool. Have you got to see anyone land in those power lines? Not in the power lines. There's one guy that was swooping under the power lines. Ooh, that that's exciting. Sick. On purpose. On purpose. Okay. Yeah. Intentional. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm I thought that was cool, but I, I wouldn't recommend it. But depends who it is. I'd watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people. You know what I mean. Yeah. I'd Some watch it on the YouTube's. Yeah. Actually, no matter who it is, I'd watch it. But some people, <laughs> I'd be watching it with more interest than others. Yeah. Yeah. yeah true. Like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Speaking of swooping under things. Shit! You stole a fucking God line right out of my mouth. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I saw you grab the mic. I'm like, you're not taking this uh, from me. You got it. These are my microphones. I'm turning. Yeah. Um. But speaking of swooping other things <laughs> <laughs> i saw a pretty crazy video of you on the internet oh. swooping under a bridge <laughs> we just know each other so well we finish each other's sentences it's i was about to interrupt and you say i saw your mom last night i don't <laughs> <laughs> she's dead i know i dug her up it was, it was <laughs> difficult <laughs> i worked hard yes. for it. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. savage thank you those metal is fuck <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm going <laughs> to save that. That was awesome. Oh, oh, no. that burned like on my urethra. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Surely you'd have found some treasures as well. Huh? All right. Gross. Some buried uh, treasure. So you swooped under this bridge. Was that was that in Norway? Uh, yes. How did this uh, idea come to be? Um, so the manager uh, of the drop zone and the manager of the one call team, uh, Andreas is the manager of the drop zone and Bjorn is manager of the one call team. They're like, Hey, we're thinking of swooping under the pedestrian bridge over at the park, blah, blah, blah. Do you, do you want to do it? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, <no. laughs> and they said they had, they had just got back from being out there and measured it and everything. And it totally goes. Uh, and they asked me if I wanted to walk out there and we had been, going to the park a lot, so I actually walked across the bridge a few times and been there and seen it. Um, I never really thought about, hey, look, we should swoop under this thing until they said something about it. And I was just like, yeah, sick. <laughs> and um, I had to work for the day, and then they went out and did a jump and swooped under the bridge midday or whatever just to try it. I don't really know what that means, but they, they had to go at it, and they did it. And like, it totally goes. It's sick. We're going to do it again later this evening if you want to go as well. Because um, that was um, one of the in-hops for the end of the day. They just do in-hop. They'll do like two or three in-hops per month. In-hop in meaning in um, that off-site landing? So basically an off-site jump. And they... So the way they do their in-hops, they say, all right, we got an in-hop later this evening. Come and sign up. Everybody signs up specific time come in front of manifest we're going to talk about the jump talk about the landing area and they pull out a whiteboard and dry erase markers and they start drawing lines there's there's a tree right here the arrow's going to be right here either landing this way or that way there's another tree over here 
Uh, there's a mountain over here on this side. It's this high. Uh, there's there's another. There's like a power line over here. And uh, yeah, so this is your landing area. Um, and then we get on the airplane and go. Uh, and I asked why why don't we just like get on Google Maps and like show us a satellite overview? And they're like, no, that's not how we do things here. It's it's part of the experience. It's part of the adventure um, to kind of not know where you're going <laughs> but you know where you're going sort of thing that's man this just look, looks exactly like that drawing on the water right. board. that sounds badass but like that kid just got his a license and he's allowed to go and they're like yeah he'll be fine <laughs> sick i like it were, were any of these landing areas sketchy uh sketchy he landed under a bridge <laughs> uh i mean other them, than like that. You definitely have. I'm talking about for a license, friend. There's potential to land out in some really shitty places, uh, whether it be a huge lake or a mountain or just trees. Yeah, uh, but you know, as long as they do it right, no, and that's like the same for any landing area. But like even the landing area at the drop zone is decently tight. Uh, it's the landing area for the students in Norway would be considered pretty fucking sketchy compared to what you guys have compared here. to the size of our drop zone yeah like is it a quarter of the size of it, uh let's see the actual main landing area i'd say it's about half the size uh width wise and maybe a quarter less lengthwise but throughout some of that space there are fences um there's like actual barbed wire fences cutting off a couple of different Hurdles. properties <laughs> and a and occasionally creek, someone's legs. a runoff ditch, uh, a couple piles of dirt, bays, hey, uh, huge hells trees, of bay, bays of hell, huge trees. <laughs> Did you say hell, hell, hells of <laughs> there bay? are some hells of bay out hells there. Hells of bay, <laughs> yeah, words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pull cords up. <laughs> Sometimes there are are hells of bay out there. And um, do you ever land on one of those bale hays? No, nah, none of the ones out there. No, <laughs> not <Bells>. in Norway. <laughs> Um, shit. Words. But yeah, <laughs> I had a really swoop. good question. So we did. Oh. we did the old bridge swoop, and man, I hadn't been so nervous and stressed to go for a skydive in a long time since like first tandem and like my first wingsuit jump. Those were stressful skydives, and then like taking family—that's like a different kind of stress. But to actually go on a skydive and just be like a little gripped and like really trying to focus on the task at hand and just playing it out over and over and over again and then getting in the door and going. <whistles> that was something else. At what point uh, were you nervous all the way until you were, were done? Yeah. Yeah. Even what, coming, what? coming through on the, like even on the setup. So there's like the actual exit of the airplane opening Flying around, I went to go try to fly close to Bjorn for a little bit and fly close with him. That was all super chill. Whenever he didn't want to play and he fucked off, um, I was just like, all right, cool, so we're not going to play. And I was like, oh, yeah, fuck, we're sweeping a bridge. All right. And just <laughs> blasted up into brakes and just watched um, Bjorn and Andreas, who were in front of me, uh, I watched them land and and was kind of paying attention to their setup and just trying to pick anything out of conditions and blah, blah, blah from what they were doing. Um, that being said, both of those guys are 
loaded at about 2.8 to 3.0 because they're pretty heavy dudes. They're Norwegian Vikings, and I'm just like little Nick Reyes. <laughs> and, I'm uh, <laughs> um, So I watched them land. I was like, all right, sweet. Like, it's like going through my head, like, you know how to swoop gates, just plane out before the bridge, and it's fine, <laughs> right? Uh, go through, do the turn. Everything was awesome. Uh, wicked scary, <laughs> uh, but it worked, and I almost made it to the beach. And I actually got a little hurt. Um, I planted down in the water and didn't expect it to be quite as deep as what it was. I thought I'd have a little bit more. So I ended up like kind of tripping over once I finally touched and fell over. And a rock in the water cut, cut my knee a little bit. Yeah, oh, almost a little bit of a face plant. Almost. But you just swooped under a fucking bridge. How high was it from the top of the canopy to the bottom of the bridge? Maybe a meter, so maybe like three feet, three, three yeah, and a half, yeah. four feet, somewhere Super in there. tight fit, man. <laughs> yeah. I am, um, were you jumping full RDS? Uh-huh. I would actually be concerned with that short of a distance, having an attached pilot chute and the pilot chute just wagging around and turbulence yeah, training it to grab something. Like I would almost think that close. Uh, Justin's actually sharing a picture of it on Facebook or on, on the video. I'm trying to find a video, but all I can find yeah. is your photo. Throw that picture up on the feed for people to see it, man. Um, you can see how close that really is, dude. It's there's only a video, few. like a short video on Instagram outside of that. It's, I just have the video inside of a an edit. Do you have this picture now? Do you actually have a digital print of, or actually not a print of this? No, I don't. I don't have a print of it. This is one one day that you have to get done, dude. It, that is such a Freaking sick shot, Nick. It's a uh, what canopy are you on there? Uh, that was I like. A are you dragging the hand too? Sixty-six Slaya. A what? A sixty-six Slaya. Uh, the, a what? The all cell Slaya. Slaya. Dude, I love the shirt that they made for Slaya. Mm-hmm. And the uh, isn't it on the slider as well? Yep. Yeah. Not on my one. I didn't get a fancy slider. Yeah. So uh, uh, for those who don't know, a Leia is uh, the Leia is one of their. Uh, high-performance canopies on the seven-cell platform. Uh, Aerosport, NZ Aerosport. NZ Aerosports, yes. yes. Uh, and their Slaya is the all-cell version. Correct. And they have this wicked Kiss-looking Leia, like Princess Leia, mm-hmm. uh, looking like she's in Kiss or something, the Slaya. Mm-hmm. So pretty fucking dope. It's on the slider. Their shirt's out there looking yeah. like she's going to rock out or something. Um, that was on a Slay 66? Mm-hmm. What are you flying mostly right now? You know, actually... Um, pretty much since the new year, I've mostly been jumping a 119 Kraken. It's, whoa, 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 call the Kraken. The Kraken. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's another NZ Aerosports canopy. Uh, it's their wingsuit specific canopy, so it's a big seven cell. Ah. Uh, a couple of new things about it, and it's, it's just a really rad thing that they're building. I don't think it's in full production. Okay. But, uh, I don't know all the details. I can't say too much. You've probably said enough. But, yeah. Yeah. It's a sick canopy, and when it does hit the market, I think wingsuiters are going to be super stoked on it. Dude, NZ Aerosport, there's no doubt. Uh, there's a reason. They're such a big canopy manufacturer. They do a super good job. They've made a lot of really good wings. Um, it's a tough market because, really, PD just dominates it. And, and besides uh, PD and Icarus slash NZ Aerosports for years, nobody's pushed the market at all. Um, until recently, like other com- company companies have come up with some decent canopies, but nobody's pushed the market. Those two guys, but I think you're also jumping some fluid wing stuff. No, Mm-mm. no nope. DQ does. I know DQ have you, does. Have you jumped any fluid wings? I'd, canopies? 
I jumped. Um, what was it? I don't remember if it was an HK or an Helix. Um, I have jumped both, but the HK that I jumped was just before I got my seventy four Leia. Uh huh. So that was like two, three years ago. Super early in development. Uh huh. And it was like a sixty some. Uh. It was like a 65 or 69. And I was coming off of my 84 Velo. So trying to compare it to anything was like really hard because it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, this thing hauls ass and it stops when I told it to. So like, <laughs> <laughs> that's really nice. But like I, I, at that point, I didn't have anything to compare it to outside of an 84 Velo. I don't think anybody has pushed that market as hard as Fluid Wings has so far. And I'm super curious to see what Scott and his company do, Scott and Scott do. Mm-hmm. Um, those boys, they're really lighting it up right now. Justin, you found something. Okay, I found it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. so if you're watching this on the face space, uh, on the videos, you can check it out. Instagram, is this on Nick's Instagram? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Nick, what's your Instagram? There it is right there, nreyes1092. Uh, that's, that's the one, man. But were you born October 1992? No, June. June, okay. Tana's graduation year. Okay. That's 92, the same year I graduated high school. Just <laughs> <laughs> you graduated in 92. I graduated in 2010. I had to do some math. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I just it's, it's to the point now where we get to teach people who skydive, how to skydive, who were Born before I started, or after I started skydiving, it's starting to scare me, man. I'm starting to feel like the old guy at the drop zone finally. Uh, get it, getting old is a privilege, and growing up is a choice. That's that's the way I see it. it man, Nick, you've grown up so much. Dropping knowledge, <laughs> Nick Reyes. Watch out. <laughs> so the other thing that we mentioned that you like to swoop is also hey. I said it right that time. Hey, not hey. Michael Bay. So hey, dude, you you did it once here in Houston. I think you did it again recently. The land on a hay bale. Hay bale. Yeah, that was in yeah. New Zealand. New Zealand. Dude, I don't know, Nick. Have you ever... So a lot of drop zones are around farm country. A lot of drop zones, you'll see a lot of hay. And we're talking about these giant-ass rolls of hay, not the little square thing you see at like, your local gym. These uh, big-ass uh, uh, rolls. And I've seen them before in Indiana. I've seen them here. Uh, some of our land area gets them every now and then. And I'm like, man, it'd be so cool to swoop on one of those. Had you ever thought that before yourself, Mr. Watt? Well, I mean, I only saw the hay bales when I showed up here. Yeah, yeah. And I think I showed up on a pretty dry year where the grass wasn't really growing that much. So it, I, I see, it seemed like the idea was introduced to me by somebody else for sure. I didn't have that idea. And one day you thought the same thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you to land on that thing? How many tries? Uh, when I did it with the Velo, it took like 10 tries, 12 tries. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that was that actually so... It's pretty much like a perfect zone act. The first time I had tried, um, I got six tries, and then all the hay bales were gone. So I never got to try again for a a pretty long time. And then I was visiting and was doing some coaching stuff. I was here for a month in June in, like, 2016, and they started baling hay. And I was just (laughs) like, oh, my God, are you serious? Fuck yes. <laughs> so they finally put out a bunch of hay bales again and was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And that one was about 10 to 12 tries in. And I never got to try on the same hay bale more than twice because they, they, were picking they them took up. it. They, t- they were taking them away. So every time New I setup. tried, 
I had to pick a new hay bale and never got to use the same setup or same picture of anything and finally got it. And then when I was in New Zealand, that was second try that I actually made it on the hay bale. I want to come back to the ones here in Houston for a second. So first of all, I had no clue that you had tried this previously. So when you lived here, I thought it's when you came back and visited, it was just a fresh idea to you or you finally got to try it. So this was just like a, such a gift for you to see that to show up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did the farmers ever see you swooping the hay all day? Uh, yeah, the guys that were actually bailing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they totally saw me. Did they, any of them ever talk to you, have any clue what you were doing? No, nobody said anything. They didn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. And they generally... Well, it seemed like it. Yeah. Or, or maybe they did because every time after I tried, they would... Take the one that I had just gone for. Thank you. They take it away. <laughs> <laughs> I like, God damn. I feel I just, like <laughs> I found the I'm video, but I feel like again. we have to have the audio because the Afterland audio is the, I feel like is the best part. Of the for video. sure, man. So bring that up a little bit. Um, it, so it, it's, you're, you're setting these up. The, the one you land here, do you know if any of the farmers saw, if any of the guys working saw you land on it i i don't know who saw me on that one because i was out there all by myself <laughs> all <laughs> i was just celebrating because i finally got it <laughs> um man I, I had no clue you chased i didn't i've never heard the whole story i just knew you did this i had no clue you had to chase the hay all day long uh to get there chase the hay chase the hay hey, 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 hey. Hey. <laughs> got a buddy named billy who likes to work out a lot Drink, eats a lot of creatine and he loves 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 Bro. the joke like what do uh or oh, it's not gay, uh, what a gay horse. creatine gay but w- uh, whey protein sorry as well so he loves the gay horse joke so we always what, what do gay billies eat whey <laughs> fuck you billy i know you heard that <laughs> <laughs> oh man billy's a good all dude. right narrate this for us nick what's going on i'm turning i'm like man i'm doing good and i just think oh maybe i'm not doing so good <laughs> You know what? <laughs> I better do another rotation. Yes! And then I'm like, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I did it. I'm and <laughs> what was the last sound? <laughs> I conquered the hay bales, and that was that was my air guitar. Song. Oh, was that uh, the? One? <laughs> I so wish there was outside oh, video on this. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think there is. Man, that grass is pretty long. Yeah, are <laughs> just about to bell it up. Hey. 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 Um, in New Zealand, it took you two tries. I want to say there was a picture of it or a video of it from there. No, oh, I, I, only my video. Okay, I just I can't. I don't remember if I saw somebody else's or yours. Yeah, I think it would have only been my video. Yeah. So now you you're hunting out hay all over the. <laughs> now you're hunting. I, I never ha- drank a beer with Nick Lott before. Yeah, yeah. If you oh, have, it's rare that he actually drinks beer. No, it, it is really actually rare. So. Celebration, motherfuckers! It's it's a celebration, bitches. So here you are. You're going back to Norway. That's that's now kind of your traveling goals. You're passing yes. through Houston for a short time. Yeah, I'm here till early Monday morning. I'll fly out, and then I'll go spend a, a week in London. Uh, with Lewis Jones, Lemming bass crew, and some do some hectic urban bass drums. But what are you doing this weekend? I, I don't know. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I heard there's a party at Skydive Spaceland, man. <laughs> <laughs> man y'all, y'all totally almost missed that plug, son. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what it means. Uh, dude, guys, gals, this weekend, you know it's the uh, film festival. No, no, wrong event. Sorry. Um, the uh, karaoke, karaoke night. night. You fucked up your own plug. Karaoke <laughs> fight night, uh, flight extravaganza. Uh, Saturday, Jeffro uh, is going to be in town. We're going to get things set up. We're going to get things rolling Saturday and Sunday. We're going to have load organizers, Tex, Jesse, Leos, uh, Laura Wagner, Free Fly, Angle, uh, Belly Flyers, Josh Gerard, Demo are going to come help us out, have some fun jumps. They have some organized structured jumps. They have some really fun, stupid jumps also planned as organizers. So whatever you want, Jeremy Carnop's going to do some wingsuit organizing, and DQ is going to lead the XRW crowd. Uh, we're going to have fun. If there's bad weather, and Nick Loud has promised me there's going to be no bad weather. 100% guaranteed, perfect Boom, weather. yeah, and you can get your money back from Nick. Guaranteed, um, not guaranteed. Boom. Uh, <laughs> we're going to try to set some things up. Maybe Your a money back. Maybe a little Mario Kart <laughs> on the big screen. We'll have some movies. We'll have all sorts of things going on during it's the day though. to keep people entertained. <laughs> That's why they get their money back. Oh, oh God damn, he's blonde, not red. Uh, come out, hang out. We'll have a karaoke DJ, and then we'll have UFC 236. The fights are on, and uh, Nick Lott and I will probably do a little naked jello wrestling while we're at it. I will fight you in public. I am scared, and I'm not joking. So I'm sorry for whatever uh, it was. If, if you well, want to get I'm definitely coming no. now. <laughs> if you want to get up uh, like a swimming pool full of Jello and fight, I will do that. If I can replace you with Valerie, I'm in. What if we raise money for charity? Ooh, we can pick something else. We need to find a it's better be event because it's probably going to end pretty easily. What about me and uh, I don't know, fill in the blank with anybody else? You get to pick Francisco. Who? Okay, me and Cisco wearing tiny little <sighs> banana hammocks. All lubed up with KY jelly in a pool of Jello, <laughs> raising money for Jimmy Win pullover right now. <laughs> Jimmy Win, stop the car! <laughs> oh, I, I'm I'm struggling right oh, now myself. Uh, I guess Tex is going to have to be there too. He'll be the shirtless referee. Oh my god, dude! And uh, what are we raising money for? Simper Five Fund. Now we did that. Let's do something. Let's do something non-veteran related. That sounds embarrassing for them. We'll, we'll have to come back to that answer. All right, I well, cannot get there. I'm right open. Now. I'm saying I'm open. Oh my god! So you lived in Norway <laughs> though for a while already, right? You spent the last year there. Uh, just last summer, so mid-April to the beginning of September. What's it like living in a European country? Um, man, Norway was pretty neat. Uh, it's really nice that everybody can speak English pretty well. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, Norwegian d- d- have you sounds had- like mush. Have you had any interactions where someone doesn't speak English? Have you run into that? A couple, but they're usually like a bit older and they can understand some, but can't speak quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can get by, uh, which is kind of cool. Oh. <laughs> 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 um, they, uh, for the most part, Norwegians can speak pretty good English. A lot of the, the older people don't speak quite as, as good of English. Um, but can understand enough for a skydive. And if we really need it, we could just borrow somebody really quick to give them a briefing in Norwegian and then go for a skydive. But But outside of like trying to train somebody for a skydive. Yeah, like living there, going to the store, getting around town. Going out in public and dealing with getting on a train or groceries, everything, everybody speaks pretty good English, so it's pretty easy. I think that's the biggest intimidation for me about international travel is I worry about, like, God, I'm going to be... I think about going to China or something 
or like how a Chinese person must feel when they come here because there's not like almost everywhere I've traveled internationally, it's like they'll give an announcement in whatever the language is and then in English also. So it's like, oh, cool. Stupid Americans have come here before. They're used to, <laughs> they're used to people like me. But I imagine like when a Chinese person comes here, nothing's written in Chinese. So I worry about having that experience of going going somewhere far away and being lost with, with no language. Right. But you haven't had that at all over no. there? No. Is no, there, it's all pretty chill. Are there any like big cultural differences that you've noticed? Anything that's freaked you out? Mm, culture, not not really. Um a lot of times, girls will come and hit on you. I was going to ask about Norwegian babes. How is Dude. it? <laughs> yeah, they're very aggressive. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Are they very aggressive <laughs> to men in general, or because you're an American there? I don't. Or because you're Nick Reyes. Man, just I mean, look at me, man. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, I'm not. I'm not really sure. There's apparently there's more women than men there. So hmm. panties be dropping, it sounds Arr. like. Move to Norway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all. It's great. So I'm coming to visit you in Norway. Yeah, man. I'm just kidding. I'm not coming. No. Well. What's the, what is the best time of year to go to Norway? <laughs> Summertime. And it's always daytime. Is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What's the shortest amount of darkness? Like an hour? No uh, hours? You get dusk. Okay. Really? So it is that far north. There's literally just, there's usable light all night, and then it turns into a regular old daytime. Gosh, how does that affect your sleep? Uh, You cover up the windows real good. (laughs) Wow. But like a couple nights, and it's like, anybody know what time it is? Two (laughs) o'clock. Are you serious? (laughs) Do you find yourself like not going to sleep and not doing what you're supposed to do because of that? Because the sun's still up. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's no outside way of knowing what time it is. Outside of oh we we haven't been jumping for a really long time, <laughs> still they'll well stop jumping at nine o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for like neighbors and farms and stuff like that, and so like after we've been like we barbecued we already ate food we've already watched a movie we're still sitting around uh, we should probably pay attention to what time it is <laughs> and g- like go to bed. Well, what a trip, man! When is Extreme Week? Uh, this year Extreme Sports Week is the last week of June. Did you get to deal with that or do anything with that mm-hmm. last year? Did yep. So what is Extreme Sports Week? So Extreme Sports Week is literally just a a festival of pretty much every extreme sports that you can think of. I think the only thing I really didn't see was like any water skiing or wakeboarding, which I thought was kind of weird. Uh, but like outside of that, there's everything. Like they use um, and they kind of do like small competitions out of it as well. And you actually win cash prizes. Which is cool. Um, so like they do like a rock climbing thing at the drop zone. They have um, we have there's a, a rock tower uh, on on the drop zone, and they'll they'll put up two routes that are the same, mm-hmm. and people race. And so there's the rock climbing thing. You have the skydiving. There's a day of base jumping with a helicopter. Um, guys are running around with like high lines, uh, paragliding, speed flying, mountain biking, downhill longboarding. They've they built up like a little skate park for like BMX and uh, trial bikes and stuff like that. And um, there's a glacier nearby Voss. And they took a bunch of guys out to the glacier and built a big booter. And we're doing like skiing and snowboarding and stuff like that. Uh, lots of kayaking and, and whitewater rafting. And it's all happening like within 50 miles radius of Voss. And at the end of the day, everybody comes into into Voss into the center and there's like big tents and like your traditional festival 
uh, set up. And everybody kind of meets there at the end of the day, hang out, have some drinks, bullshit for a while. And then they'll play uh, day tapes of every sport, uh, quick like two to three minute edits of uh, stuff that photographers and people that are, are getting from each sport. And play through the edits real quick. All right, cool. That was awesome. And then we just party. We'll have like some sort of a DJ or a band that'll play for a couple hours afterwards. And they'll shut everything at like three o'clock in the morning. And while it's still dusk, wake, wake up and do it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's still daytime. Like, <laughs> that's nuts, dude. So in, in the skydiving scene, I've got to imagine there's two things going on. Uh, there's a lot, but, but A, I've got to imagine there's got to be some fun jumper event going on through this process. Yeah, so, like, the drop zone holds a boogie uh, through it as well. So there's, like, load organizers and some, like, some small camps and stuff like that that are happening on the drop zone uh, for that week. And um, they don't do students, so there's no, like, proper AFF going on. And it's just, like, a a small boogie and um, fun jumpers and tandems. The other group that I would see being out a lot is do you guys see a huge influx of tandems of... The, the the most tandems that we do for the season are during Extreme Sports Week. How often or how many of those tandems are people who are actively involved in other extreme sports? Uh, a good bit of them were. Uh, not as many as I had anticipated, uh-huh. but there was a good handful of guys that were doing other sports as well and had other things to do with, within Extreme Sports Week that came out to jump with us. And usually if they were involved in some other, any various version of Extreme Sports, did they typically do better in the skydive? Uh, I mean, tandem's a tandem. I, uh, they, like you didn't see any never, difference. I didn't really see, see anything okay. like super crazy. Yeah. And like during Extreme Sports Week, um, most of most of us that are doing like that are full time tandem staff. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not actually doing tandems during Extreme Sports Week. We're just doing outside video, and they use the um, they use mo- some of the Norwegian tandem instructors that are like super part time. Um, to do tandems then because that's when it's the most numbers and they have to do 50 tandems for the season to stay current and keep their rating. Um, so they'll come through and do tandems yeah. to stay current and keep their rating and we just do the outside videos. Probably also looks good just, I mean, having everybody out there, you need the support. Um, yeah, it's I, it's definitely a busier time for tandems and... It's a lot easier for them to talk to Norwegians and Norwegian. So what kind sometimes of sometimes then? What kind of experience jumper stuff is going on? Like I'm the average fun jumper. I have a hundred jumps. Is this something I would go to? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's there's guys organizing low level jumps and there's guys building some higher level jumps. Um, so it's definitely caters to all skill levels of skydiving, I'd, minus your AFF guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's. But like, they still do all the gear rentals for the guys that are on solo status, coaching, uh, freshly a license and stuff like that. So they don't just like cancel everything out. They just don't schedule a course. Okay. Because they do every week. There's a an AFF course, and they have X amount of people in the course, and they those guys stay there for one week and go through the program, and then. They move on, whether it is they go home and wait for the next time they have time to come back, or they just stay at the drop zone and keep jumping. So is it all USPA? Uh, USPA is recognized. Okay. Uh, when you say A license, is that... Uh, is it, there it's still a 25 jumps. Okay. So th- what's the governing body there if it's not USPA? 
A, it's it's just a, no- a Norwegian federation. Okay. What I I I thought of this question earlier when you were talking about the in hops you called them off offside jumps. Is the airspace as controlled here as it is in the U.S.? Is it, is it easy to get permission to do those sorts of things? Kind of. Uh, there's a bit of paperwork that goes into it. Um, we have to we have to plan the jump usually two to three days ahead of time. To that's better than the tell nine, our plan. Ninety days we're supposed to give the FAA. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just like three or four days. Hey, this is our plan. We'll give it to the chief instructor and. They give it to whatever it is, CAA, FAA, whatever their governing body is. It's basically files a quick notum. We're going to have ground crew. We have a ride to and from, uh, blah, 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 this and that, and then we go do the thing. Man, that sounds a lot easier than it is here. Mm-hmm. I hear it's like 90 days, right? Yeah, they have 90 days to approve or deny your request. I can't ever remember the name of the to, form. Do you know Like to is? file a notum? File a notum, yeah. Uh, the name of the form, gosh. It's a numbered form. I forget what it is. Something no, dash I'm 11 or something. Uh, is it 99-11? I forget. Uh, have you filled You haven't filled it out, have no, you? No, I've never had to do the paperwork. Yeah, man. No. It's, it's, it's a pain in the butt, the FAA stuff. And it's, sometimes it's super simple. Sometimes it's a little bit harder. Um, in America, though, there's a lot of places we can jump that, that uh, we don't have to do anything special. We just contract air traffic control. As we're in days, and that's all Class D airspace, is that right? I'm not gonna say class that. Class G. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna quote which class airspace because I'm gonna be wrong. Uh, that's just. I don't want to say it because I'm gonna be wrong. I'm not sure. Uh, is there a difference there? Like, is there a tighter class airspace that would like require 90 days? Um, I don't think so. Because yeah. I mean, for like we're we're about two hours drive away from Bergen, and Bergen's the closest big airport. Um, as far as I know, that would have anything to do with us, but there's usually no stress, no troubles there. The airport that we're on, the only, only other thing that's flying out of there is like small private planes, um, a helicopter company, and small gliders. When when it comes to the Extreme Week, Voss, the boogie that Drop Zone has, do mm-hmm. you guys have registration for it? There... So I'll go. Spe- I don't know. Specifically, I'll I don't have to pay a registration. <laughs> the kind of question I'm going towards is: Is there a headcount? Do you guys know about how many jumpers come through and visit you guys? Experienced jumpers. The drop zone would. Yeah. Me specifically, not really. You have no clue. Um, you Voss, just have Voss, fun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just there. I do my thing. <laughs> yeah, I just go day to day. How but far uh, are you guys from the uh, the wind tunnel? There's a, a tunnel there, is there, isn't there? It's like 15 minutes walking. Oh really? Yeah, it's <laughs> like right there. Wow. Have you got to fly there? <laughs> uh huh. What's it like? I think mo- like most of my tunnel time in one place is at Voss now. What tunnel is it? Uh, Voss Vind. And who? What's it like? So there's a few different systems out there. Do you know who makes it? No, nah, I don't remember. It might be an ISG tunnel. Okay. I um, I might be misremembering that. What? Uh, Antonio. Antonio. <laughs> he knows. I got to hang out with uh, Antonio and Tinley and in, in Voss for oh, about a week. They came through. That was really cool. How How did you like the the wind in that tunnel? It was fucking windy, dude. <laughs> Hell yeah, that sounds good. Dude, did that it feel, shit just was blows it straight up. Did, did you have, did you have uh, much time in any of the iFly tunnels here? Uh, Utah and just the one in Houston. The A little bit here one. in Houston? Not Woodlands. 
Yeah, Memorial. the the good one. Mm-hmm. Memorial, yeah, <laughs> right. Good. Ah, uh, they're both good. I'm just I'm just biased because it's <laughs> ten minutes away from my house, so I have to justify calling it the good one. So I feel better about not driving to the woodlands. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like was it was the wind smooth? Is the facility cool? Anything? What, what's awesome about it? I've got like maybe eight or nine hours in the tunnel. That's a lot over eight years. So like, you ask me the same question, I'd have the same answer. Like it was windy. I got in and I stayed <laughs> off of the net yeah, yeah. until I bumped into it. Until <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. That's just because I was flying like shit. I don't know. <laughs> is there a relationship between the drop zone and the wind tunnel? There is. Uh, like So like staff and stuff like that, we get a bit of a discount. Um, the way they run their student program, all the students will go and fly like 10 to 15 minutes a tunnel before they ever do a skydive, uh, which is pretty cool. And um, yeah, I can buy tunnel time off of my jump account. Hell yeah. Awesome. Is everyone there uh, multi-rated at Voss? Yep. Is that a requirement to work there? You have to be multi-rated? For the most part. I mean, there was there was a guy last year. Unfortunately, he's not going to work with us this year. Um, but he was only doing video. Is Mario still around? Sotberg? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, Please tell him I say hello. Do you know if we know each other? Has he mentioned me to you at all? Tell him I say hello. He, I'm pretty sure... I, I want to say he was at... Um, the free fly camp, but I could be very wrong. See, all these Quite Norwegian possible. these Norwegian names are really hard to remember, yeah. especially put a face to the name. Uh, but some names are definitely a more bunch popular. of giant, beautiful blonde people with names you can't quite pronounce. Mm-hmm. No, Maros is one of the more uh, build Norwegian organizers in tunnels, and y- you will reckon. I'm pretty sure you recognize his name. I see him build regularly, hosting events for a tunnel or canopy or a, a free fall. A super wicked free flyer uh, was, I believe. Um, I know competed for Norwegian uh, as uh, in Norway for the Norwegian uh, as a Norwegian national champ. I think he was on the uh, champion team. Uh, they were here in Houston way back when and did an AFF course with me. So spent uh, two weeks. He did tandem or a coach in AFF back to back. Cool. Super super good dude. Super good flyer and super Norwegian man. Yeah. <laughs> well, have you explored anywhere else in uh, in Europe? Everything seems so accessible there. Uh, dude, I was pretty much just in Norway. Yeah. I got to move around in Norway a, a little bit, not maybe quite as much as what I wanted to, but I did get to move around. Um, the closest other country to me was Sweden. And then outside of that, you have to actually get off of that peninsula into like Europe to have all of the like smaller countries that are really close to each other. Hop across down to Denmark. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, th- I think it's just right below Sweden and Denmark are mm-hmm. across from each other. Um, what else did you do while you were in Norway? What else was going on for you there? Um, I went to Heli Boogie. That was pretty that sweet. That is in Norway. Uh huh. Yeah, where's that at? In Chirag and, and Lisbon. So the, the Chirag Fjord, if I remember correctly. Um, but that's basically the one where you, they jump off and there's mm-hmm. like the little triangle grass strip yeah. where everybody lands on. Um, that was really, really cool. Um, you know, like you see, there's so many popular YouTube videos. Is that where people were doing those close fly- flybys on the road too? Is that the same spot? No, not the, not the same spot. Oh, okay. I think that one's actually in Switzerland. But th- there's a lot of uh, proximity flying that happens in from yeah. the same wall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, this, well, no, you don't really fly past any of the roads there on that one in Chirag. Okay. But people are flying real close to that wall. People are flying close to rocks. That's scary. People are getting hurt. You're people not doing are dying. That. You're not doing that, right? No. 
Don't well, here I am. <laughs> I've got no broken bones yet. That's good. Let's keep he it turns into Forrest Gump or a Muppet. I'm just <laughs> that you never know which one's coming out. Uh, you, you're pretty emphatic about that. No proxy fly. Flying is what a lot of people call it. Uh, wingsuits flying close to cliffs. You were pretty emphatic when that came up to no. Like you very quickly said, I'm not doing that. Hitting rocks. Are you proxy flying at all? Or are you no? Um, I I haven't done any wingsuit based jumping, which is the safer way to do anything that is proximity, as far as like free fall is concerned. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like not being under any sort of a canopy. Um, but like, I just haven't been around it enough. I haven't been at any of the places that are more proxy accessible. I think the closest thing I got to proximity flying was probably jumping in um in Lewin where they have the sky lift and they've done like some um next next level wingsuit um courses. Wingsuit base jump group, courses. Next level camp. Group. Yep. yep. Um we showed up there for the end of the season, so like the beginning of September. We went there and me and another buddy, Ty, we were jumping one-piece track suits. We were jumping uh, the Sausage 2 squirrel one. and um, Such a funny name for yeah. a suit. That's <laughs> an awesome name. <laughs> it really is, too. Um, but yeah, so we're jumping our sausages out there. And <laughs> <laughs> just getting pitted. Letting them fly. Fully pitted, bro. <laughs> Fully pitted in our sausages. And, you know, the first couple did jumps I did... <laughs> <laughs> what was it? The beans. Give, the give her the beans. We were giving her the beans. We were pretty much going full <laughs> ham out there. <laughs> DJ, I wonder if you know what it means to go ham. That is a term probably older than all of us, but um, I would think go ham is somebody just being silly, being goofy, going weird. Justin, <laughs> do you know what going ham means? No. Uh-uh. Hard as a motherfucker. Going ham, H-A-M, hard as a motherfucker. Going ham. Oh, I've never heard it in that context. <laughs> yeah, well, because you guys are stupid white people. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Nick Reyes are with it. Yo, Son. man, we got it going on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a Nick thing you wouldn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Nick thing. God damn it. Nick Wayne. <laughs> oh, man. Have another beer, Nick. <laughs> hey, that's an IPA. That's at least, that's two for me. <laughs> Uh, that's not stronger, isn't it? No, I'm oh. pretty sure that's a seven percent beer. This is. Yep. I did much searching, by the way, and Vossvind is uh, manufactured by Indoor Skydiving Germany. Yep, that's ISG. ISG, oh. yep. Yeah. It is, but I need reading glasses. That was hard. <laughs> so uh, what? that's what she said. Okay, so going ham, going ham in the sausage. <laughs> I just <laughs> totally put that together. <laughs> Giving it the beans uh, and the sausage. <laughs> All right, so you're going to have the sausage. <laughs> We're getting continue. hectic. We're doing some getting jumps. Hectic. <laughs> and you know, after after my first two jumps, I was like, man, this is like it looks like this is really in my face. I don't know if I want to keep jumping this, like if I have a shit start. I don't know how close I am to actually like pounding into a tree or needing to pull or, or whatever. I was doing a lot of jumping with uh with a fly sight. Um, so just getting a lot of data, you know, all about collecting some data and getting some numbers. And later that evening, it was actually really nice because, um, having the whole next level course thing going on and, um, them being nice enough to let us hang out with them afterwards after jumping, 
we started learning more about like actually getting all the numbers of the profile of the cliff and the entire mountain that we were jumping. So we had the numbers of from the exit point to where the actual lip was. How far does that lip come off before it starts dropping? And once it does drop, how quickly is it dropping? Um, so we're taking into consideration how long does it take you to start flying? How well are you flying once you actually start going? And how sustainable is that flight compared to the rest of the terrain? Um, so you're just trying to make sure you can keep your sausage up long enough not to hit the lip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can hear the struggle in your voice to get that sentence. <laughs> that was so, so hard. Ooh. That was oh. even more <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a 45-year-old child. Uh, so uh, now that we've moved past the hard sausage <laughs> one more time. Um, so we talked about the numbers of the cliff and then... Pl- Doing the numbers about giving her the beans. <coughs> Plug that into and... What was and the thing about the tipping the, the, the cap? What do we, where did we start today? Uh, I'll tap you on the hat when I'm done. Tap you on the hat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so curious to go back to the I first so, part I of the recording coming. to see if I got that. <laughs> I think I just barely got it. So <laughs> we're we're comparing the numbers of the actual <laughs> cliff that we're jumping off of and flying out to uh, to the data that I was getting with my fly site and seeing what was going on. And I was actually decently high above the lip that I thought I was about to smack into. <laughs> so your sausage wasn't smacking the lip at all? It wasn't smacking the lip. God, was it proportional? Smacking that lip. Was it proportional to the angle of the dangle or the heat of the meat? <laughs> yeah, you usually want to be at like a nice like like semi to like keep the speed and not really stall out because if you're just like about here you're it, it's you're gonna just drop trying a lot too quicker. hard yeah it's weird <laughs> you're gonna stall I, out too I quickly scientist man i can't explain it <laughs> oh man so you're uh deploying prematurely also is that happening uh no i was pretty right on time if, <laughs> if you fly too stiffly yeah <laughs> uh. I guess I, you know, on some of the jumps, probably could have taken her a little deeper. <laughs> God, how many dick jokes will we pack into three minutes of Nick Ray trying to tell a story? You can measure that with your fly sight. Uh, <laughs> the thrust angle. <laughs> serious thrust. <laughs> All right, so I fully lost the story here. You're in your sauce. <laughs> Look at the fly site data. You tap yourself on the head when you deploy. (laughs) (laughs) And you're looking, you're almost proximity flying, right? Yeah, yeah, that's at least what it felt like. (laughs) So, how far away are you from this cliff? I was like 300 feet, 400 feet away from it. It feels like you're right fucking What I thought was right there. So I'm I'm super curious about these sausage suits. Uh, ben Nelson started jumping uh, uh, tracking suits, is what they're called. Sausages one, right? A sumo suit. Yeah, you have either one. the one piece or the two piece track suits. Uh, do you know what kind of glide ratio you're getting with these? Like how far you're getting in a thousand feet of of altitude? It was um, on a skydive. On skydives, I was able to do about two point five to a three glide ratio, and that was just like going out and flying. Um, that's I, shit hot. During during the Norwegian <laughs> Nationals, when they were doing the uh, the wingsuit runs, they yeah. were dropping uh, two miles and three miles out. So I was like, "Well, 
shit, I'm not on a work jump. I'll just get in my one-piece tracksuit and see if I can't keep up with these wingsuit guys and really compare it to. And was clearing the two miles and just going sure. well past the drop zone and still pulling at like 4,000 feet. Yeah. So it's not like I'm like taking it super deep and, deep and being unreasonable. Um, but just the suit's performing and it's flying and it was pretty cool. Justin, Justin no one else is going to make the joke about Freudian taking that sausage super deep. <laughs> Justin was Freudian smirky. Um, <laughs> like he almost said super so deep. What, what's the big difference between a tracking suit and a wingsuit? Uh, it would, it would just be all the fabric in between, you know, like they're both inflatables. They're both technically ram air, but just the, the amount of wing that you have over you is, is significantly different. It would be like trying to compare a skydive wing to a paraglider. What's the difference? Well, they're both parachutes. Just one is built for something significantly different and it's going to perform differently. Have you ever seen those sumo inflatable sumo suits you put on and run around at each other with? Mm-hmm. Take that and slimline the body so you can move your arms down, and that's a tracking suit. I mean, essentially, if you to a point, de- yeah, to describe the, the look of it, instead of having a webbing or wing, so instead of being of a flat glider wing like a B two bomber or a Delta wing, you're more like more a like big Michelin two. man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> man. Um, it's interesting because like tracking, if you're a really, really super shit hot tracker, a one to one glide ratio is going to be really there. Uh, 1.1, 1.2, uh, possibly, uh, a canopy two and a half, three to one is a normal glide ratio. So you're just going way too fast to land a sausage or, or, a, a, a tracking suit. But man, you're. We gotta, can we quit saying sausage? I can't <laughs> control myself. <laughs> you can't. I can't stop thinking. You get excited when you hear the word sausage. Yeah, I'm getting fucking rock hard over here. Okay. Um, <laughs> we can call them the one piece. The one piece. The one piece. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Yeah. My yeah. one piece performs significantly better than my two piece. That's mm, not helping. That no, I guess that wasn't quite as good. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like you and Rory are in a competition now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, dude, these things are they're pretty out there. Uh, I've actually recently heard a couple friends, and, and I'm not going to say I agree with these friends, but I want to get your take on it. Who are saying wingsuits have to have some guidance? You need to have uh, you, you you don't need you should have coaching. You should have somebody giving you some guidance, and part of that is navigation is super important to understand. Do you think somebody with a tracking suit should have a similar type of guidance or coaching? Yes. Yeah. There's nothing currently out there that way is that no. I know of. No, not at all. How similar? I mean, like straight up, full nut, first light course I think, kind? I think the biggest thing is is that you can fall straight down in a track suit. So if you belly out and just go back to your normal box man, you're going to fall straight down. It's going to be weird to fly because the suit's a little bit inflated in different places. So your drag's going to be a little different from your legs to your arms, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, you can fall straight down in a track suit if you go back to box man. Now, in a wingsuit, that's not exactly an option <laughs> because you're... You're skydiving and or base jumping in a street jacket. So you need to get out and fly and be able to perform. And even then, if you fly like shit, you're still going to cover a significant amount of ground compared to if you get into a tracksuit and just fly that like shit. You're not going to go quite as far, but you're still going to cover some ground. But it's not like any, any, any like your first wingsuit flight, you can easily fly two to three miles and not think anything of it from just... <laughs> so would it would be You're fair to go. say like deployment and all that is is relatively the same 
Like you don't have to worry about it as much like when you're in a wing suit or like, for example, if you get line twists, it's, you know, you can still kick out of it. You don't have to worry about the zips and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not constricted. You can, you can reach all the way up. You can do everything you need to. Uh, just the same as if you were doing a, a slick skydive. So just being in, in your regular everyday jumpsuit um, is similar to the tracksuit. Now, if, if you're in the wingsuit, you don't, you don't have that option. You have to be able to get yourself out of the suit, like release your arms. Uh, on top of that, you need to be able to understand how to uh, pull correctly so you're not going to spin out and go for a tumble whenever you go to pull. And like even before that, just understanding horizontal skydives and how to how to fly so you don't just get out and <laughs> go into a flat spin. When it comes to wingsuits, uh, a first flight course, two of the largest components of a first flight course are uh, deployment and procedures. When I say procedures, free fall emergency procedures and canopy emergency procedures, both are modified because of the wingsuit. Mm-hmm. So deployment and procedures, and then the other half is navigation because it's super important that you don't run into people because you are mocking across the ground with a lot of speed. Um, with a wing, with, with, with a tracksuit, navigation is still for sure an issue, and I want to hit on that, but it sounds like procedures aren't as critical. Um, do you think using a tracksuit is a really smart step in progressing into wingsuiting? Yeah, definitely. Because um, you're, you're learning how to fly a suit that is in, inflating around your body. Um, so you're essentially getting a, a lot more performance um, just because of what you're wearing. Uh, you know, that's like the difference of putting your uh, putting a student into a small jumpsuit um, versus like something super baggy mm-hmm. and not being able to push against it or deal with it. Or your first time free fly guide going up in a VFS suit that has Cordura on the bottom of the legs and no drag on top and telling them, all right, cool, we're going to learn how to sit fly now. <laughs> <laughs> Make his job hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of these track suits, are they going on similar to wingsuits? To gear, or is there any implement like you got a the one a piece track suits? Are yeah. you 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 hook up your rig pretty much the same as you would on a wingsuit? Um, the sausage is that way, right? The Sorry, sausage Nick. and the the onesie power, uh-huh. whatever the Phoenix Fly is making. Uh-huh. Um, the cruise suit, which is I don't you don't really see too much of those anymore, but the cruise suit was like an early S Fly one piece track suit, and all of those you have to integrate your rig to the suit, so it's. This, your rig is a part of the suit, and I think it's super helpful. I don't remember where I was going with that. I think it's super helpful in the learning curve because part of learning to wingsuit is putting that fucker on your rig, dude. It can be a yeah. little daunting at first, and you can definitely hook it up improperly and and be wearing it improperly, and you could either lose a handle because mm-hmm. it goes into the suit, uh, which is a thing that has happened. Uh, there's guys that have had to fly themselves through AAD fire because they couldn't reach their hacky and they hooked up the suit improperly and couldn't pull Jesus. a reserve either. And like, I know a guy who <laughs> told us the story later. He's like, I, I couldn't pull and my reserve handle was gone and I just dove. Jesus. I just went faster wheel. straight down oh God. to ensure an, AAD. ensure an AAD fire, which is like, yeah, cool. At least you Fuck had the presence me. of mind to think of that. But like, Holy shit! You thought of that in like a stressful situation, but didn't 
do another thing correctly. To think a, about a seeing your situation. handle outside of a suit while you work <laughs> home. Yeah. I, and realistically, not the it's the best decision in the moment, but not a guarantee because that increased speed means when it fires, you're still going to the ground faster. I mean, it, it complicates yeah. it. Yeah. Um, do you jump an AAD? Uh, I do know. Yeah. Do you jump a wingsuit AAD? Uh, yes. Well, yeah. I have my Cypress is uh, one of the interchangeable ones. They don't do uh, the the multi mode Cypress does not do wingsuit. It's just, it's the only specific thing. Well uh, then, no. Yeah, it's um, an expert. I definitely highly recommend anybody who's doing regular wingsuiting to get a wingsuit Cypress or any other manufacturer. I don't know of another manufacturer making a good specific wingsuit one besides. But uh, uh, go to AirTech's website and read about it, man. It's a very interesting device. It what it takes to account for fall rates because wingsuiters are going very very slow. Um, especially with some of these positives, uh, you know, people are, are getting a lot of lift and going up a lot. Yeah, especially so. as big as the suits are getting these days, like your your Freak Threes and Alpinas and Kalugos and Auras, they're it's a big suit, man. That's a magic carpet. There you go with all them syllables again, man. You can fancy words <laughs> on me again. Um, the the tracksuit is super important, and helpful to learn. Do you know? Now you said you're fly sight nerding this a little bit. What kind of forward speed were you getting with a tracksuit? Um. On a really good track, mm-hmm. was getting 115 to 120 oh. miles an hour, uh, straight forward. And uh, vertical, how slow did you get? 40 to 50. That's a fucking small wingsuit, dude. Yeah, 100. percent That was in the one piece tracksuit. It was sick, dude. I was flying those numbers in a Phantom too. Like th- those are numbers. That's that's a small fucking wingsuit, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can you still fly a small canopy with that? <laughs> yeah, just the canopy performs like shit. Like as far as just opening or openings were beautiful because you can flare them and then just go back into regular box man and the openings were better in the one piece tracksuit than they were slick because I could fall slower down uh-huh. and have some forward speed on it. Now flying, you sit a little further back behind the canopy so your angle of attack is a lot steeper and when you do a turn and you finish, you don't come out of the turn the same. Because you're dragging. Because there's lag. so much drag, and it actually was holding me in a dive, and turned, came out a little high, thinking about it, and when it just stayed diving, 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 was like, holy shit, and give it a little bit of rears, and nothing's changing, and it's like, well, rear rear risers just don't work. This is like, you do your turn and you finish with toggles. <laughs> when in doubt, stab it out. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Seen a little bit of that lately. <laughs> uh, I, I and the uh, sausage. Hook yeah. it low, flare late. That's a swoop. A buddy of ours, uh, I won't say his name because I'm not sure I'm right, so it sounds a lot like Ben Nelson. I'm pretty sure he's <laughs> flying his Valkyrie uh, with us. With, and I could be wrong. I remember shit wrong all the time. I mean, he has a history of bad decisions anyway. So <laughs> Well, it's not like... <laughs> so do the women who date him. hey <laughs> Sick burn. <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, Ben Nelson drives a Volvo. Just saying. So it's a nice car. It's a nice car. It is a nice car. But he's got that long dick. That's what all the ladies <laughs> have been telling me. <laughs> Guru is not a lady. <laughs> uh, I, we were talking about how fast sausages go. Ben, I tried to have you back. I love you. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I don't. I don't think it's unsafe to jump a tiny parachute with a big, big tracksuit <laughs> with a big sausage. God damn it! <laughs> if you got a you big sausage and you're flying it's, a small it's, parachute, it's gone from a sexual innuendo to I'm actually just thinking about eating sausages dipped in maple syrup. <laughs> That's what's happening. You just think oh, about sausage and want to put them in your mouth. God, we almost went to Waffle House yesterday, but Torchy's won out. 
Oh, that's solid too. Mm-hmm. Torchies. Yeah, what's your favorite place to go eat in Houston, the fattest city in America? Oh my God! Did you know? Do you know? <laughs> do you know Killen's Steakhouse? My mama's house. In my yeah, mama's I house. Guess your mom does it good. <laughs> do you know who Killen's is? Have you heard of that joint? Mm-mm. So it's. I was in Washington D.C. I was reading a fucking magazine out there. Top rest, uh, top steakhouses in America, and Killen's Steakhouse is one of them. It's here in Pearland. Used to be on Thirty Five, just a little bit south. Now it's Killen's Burgers, and it's instead here uh, on like Five Eighteen somewhere. If you ever want to go spend way too much money on a killer steak, I know the place to send you to, dude. <laughs> it oh, is yeah. ridiculous. Um, yeah, the steakhouse, they have like the aged Wagyu and all that shit. It's so good. Dude, he opened a Tex-Mex joint, and uh, I just had a Wagyu fucking fajitas. Holy Oh, my God. Shit, I need dude. to try this place. Yeah, dude. I, I, dude Wagyu beef is the yeah. room. <laughs> like a mile down the road. It's right around the corner, oh, man. Yeah. So I'll point you out there. So we're we're getting kind of close to uh, the end of time here. Pumpkin There's a, a, a question I wanted to ask you. So when you came around the drop zone, there was a, a group of people flying parachutes real fast, and uh, they went by Swoop That Shit was the name of this of this group. S- STS, if any of you knew people who... <laughs> you know what's funny? I see STS stickers around, like on people's helmets, who I know have no idea what that <laughs> shit is all about. Right? Because the pro shop still has a bunch of those stickers and they sell them. It's like, man, you have no idea what that sticker is. Do you even and know Critter? What, uh, like a little bug running on the ground? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, when you came in, you showed me this really terrible tattoo on your arm. It looks like a scabby what, little scar. What does that say? <laughs> That's an STS. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Let's get yeah, get that on the... If you guys are watching on Facebook, we're getting a close-up of his there you go. sick tat, bro. Towards me. So tell me, how does one get such a terrible tattoo, Mr. Nick Reyes? Prison. That's how you... (laughs) (laughs) If you're just listening, he is now geeking the camera. He just ruined the Facebook. That's a pro-level geek. (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg is now going to cancel Facebook forever because of that. (laughs) (laughs) The replay. It's great. So how drunk were you? Um, That was about a half bottle of Jim Beam. All right. So... Uh, so this kid, Joachim, <laughs> was leaving for the Norwegian army, and he's like, yeah, I got, got a, a tattoo a gun. DJ like, it looks like his five-year-old brother <laughs> drew it on with a Sharpie. <laughs> yeah, did did he did he draw it on you first at all? No. He just started going to town. No, I was like, just just write an S and a T and an S. <laughs> and do, do you remember at this? At this point, they, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They And they, they all do what STS was at this point because I'm running around screaming, fucking swoop that shit. Show me what you got. <laughs> I want to see what you got. <laughs> and um, so... But he pulls out his tattoo gun and starts doing tattoos. And I'm like, man, those look like shit. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and just pounding whiskey coats. Boom, boom, boom. So and, the uh, drunker you got, the better his tattoos looked, apparently. Yeah. And then I was just like, <laughs> bye. F- all right. Fuck it, man. <laughs> do me up. <laughs> now, was he drinking while this all was going on? Oh, yeah. So his shitty tattoos got <laughs> shitty. They were also getting worse. He did... He did a couple <laughs> tattoos that were okay. Like they looked like okay, cool. Like it looks like a scribble, but like that kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he's having <laughs> because because of the mark. That's exactly what I've looked for in every like, tattoo it looks artist like I've a ever scribble, known. Man, that scribble's starting like to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Put that <laughs> shit on me forever. It's a little the less coolest, fuzzy now. The coolest one was um 
Buddy got a like basically like the three ring drawn out, kind of like the UPT mm-hmm. three ring, and then under it was or die. So the fact that it was like looked like somebody just like took a knife to a desk and scratched <laughs> it into <laughs> made it look sick. Uh, mine just it just makes it just look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I heard they have they have lasers for that. Mm, oh, fucking whatever, man. I've made worse choices in my life. I it think looks like someone just took like a ballpoint pen, like just yeah, it's an, interesting an hour color. ago, what, and drew what, it on there. What would you call? Is it red? It's yeah, that's red. It, it's uh, some parts are pink, some parts are. It looks like somebody took purple. an exacto knife and drug the tip along your skin to draw it. Just the tip, and only drug <laughs> it sideways, so it never really sliced. You just like drug a sharp blade <laughs> across your engraved arm, yeah, and maybe welted just, up and over. Maybe he just tattooed you with a really dry needle, and we're just seeing <laughs> scar tissue. <laughs> yeah, so anytime you're gonna go get a tattoo, just drink a half a bottle of bourbon. So, did it hurt? <laughs> How many do you have? No. What does it mean? <laughs> How long did it take? <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, for real. How long did that take? If it's more than sixty <laughs> seconds, I'm disappointed. Yeah, it was like all of a minute, two minutes. Yeah. And like the whole time, I'm like, you need more ink. Yeah, that's that's too deep. Oh, oh no, that's like shit. <laughs> Dude, we got a guy named Bobby. Oh, I'm the expert. <laughs> Was there any point that you looked at it and you were like super psyched of like, yeah, I got that shit. I was like, all right, no. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Immediate did it. But it's not even that bad compared to my buddy's tattoos. He got um, he same guy did the tattoos. Um, he got two pins on his back. It's so like a base rig, a, yeah. two, a two pin rig. He got two pins uh, midway, mm-hmm. and the bottom pin looks like a closing pin. The top one just looks like a dick. <laughs> it's just like right it has, up my has alley. The, the loop on the end, and then right when you come out to the hook, there's like a nice little bell end on it, and <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very just much like cock and balls, full on sausage. Tap yep. him on the hat right where we start. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, man! So guys and gals, man, we really appreciate you hanging out tonight. Uh, this week we're gonna be doing a double header. Uh, we are off tomorrow night, but Friday night we'll, we we will be back. Uh, my buddy Jeffrey Provenzano will be hanging out in town. We'll be hanging out, having a good time together. He'll be doing the show with us. Uh, we may have a guest sitting inside with us. I don't know. Have another friend who will also be visiting. Uh, so we have that going on. In a couple of weeks from now, we might have some guys from the European Tunnel and Skydiving scene. So we have a few cool things coming up. Um, of course, you know we have the karaoke night. By the time you hear this, you've already partied. You've already drank with us. You already had a good time. So remember, the film festival comes up later on this fall. Nick, you should come check that out. It's a lot of fun. I don't think I'll be around. I for don't it, think you will either. <laughs> but one year, I send you a video. Yes, you do it again, man. So for those of you who do check out the film festival, uh, you must be present to win. But we are taking uh uh uh, uh what, what did I call you guys? Submissions? Guest submissions. Guest right? submissions. Yeah, I, there was another uh, uh word for it, but guest submissions. And you know what? If enough of you hit me up, if enough of you get my attention, and enough of you uh, talk to Nick or Justin myself, maybe just maybe we'll do a prize just for the guest submissions only and have just a little separate thing i can't promise uh but if that happens it might just be an internet exclusive because we can't show fucking 40 videos at the drops in overnight it's not gonna happen oh but you oh, could we should dude it's a fucking fun time uh nick anything else you got to share mr lot no man i think uh just come to karaoke night regardless of the weather the forecast doesn't look amazing but i'm still uh 
He said got, it. Got my fingers crossed that that's going to be... change the fact that we're going to jump all day. Yeah, we are going to jump all day. Fuck rain. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Hashtag sick Nick. I mean, you notice I've been starting If you're that? falling with the raindrops, you never like touch them, right? Yeah, exactly. No, you hit the pointy end. No, we go... <laughs> that's the science, bro. You know, I recently learned that the bottom of a raindrop is not round. I never believed it really was. Yeah, I was an idiot and believed every cartoon I saw <laughs> where it's tear-shaped. No. But that's just some shit that some... Are they flat? Yeah, they're flat. Yeah, but it kind of kind of round on the top. More yeah, like got like a bottom. little fucking. Yeah, just think about air hitting water and what it would do to shape it the opposite. Or way if you've ever can. chased a really really fat and squishy tandem student <laughs> and the shape that, their, that their belly takes. <laughs> oh fuck! What are you trying yeah. to say? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> oh, you're 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 more of a built sort of person. You're firm. You're not like squishy. You're dense, bro. Yeah, like dense. like I'm thinking <laughs> about I like, like a, when he calls me firm. Like a fifty. <laughs> a 50 <laughs> like a sausage. <laughs> you got that firm sausage. That's what I heard. <laughs> But no, when you have like a 50-year-old lady who you can tell she's been overweight for a real long time and she's just really soft, those ladies flatten out. Like they look like they're going to have a really fast fall rate and then like they they're fast out. out the door. Uh, and then the sense. moment that they're like terminal, they flatten out and it's like, man, this is not that quick for this person's weight. <laughs> yeah, they get twice as wide. <laughs> Raindrops do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Grubbs, what else you got going on, brother? Uh, go Astros. Go Astros. Nick Reyes, thank you for being here. Anything you want to tell your friends, family, enemies, haters? Haters, what's up? I got to organize at Stephen Kerr's Boogie in Oregon at the beginning of September. And then organizing at a boogie at, at Skydive Moab, the, right, the old Moab boogie. And then going to try to do two events, one in October and one in November of just off-site jumps in Moab. Dude, to keep up with Nick Reyes and see about these events, man, uh, Oregon, go check out Madras. Uh, Skydive Awesome, we got some Skydive stickers awesome. right there. Uh, super, super they cool get you people. Yeah. Uh, check them out at Skydive Moab, the Moab Boogie, and this offsite shit. How can they find you on Facebook? It's just Nick Nicholas Reyes? Yep, Nicholas Reyes. It's shared in the show notes. You're on Instagram at all? I'm on the gram. Nick Reyes, 1092. I remember that now. Yeah, just the uh, end, though. N Reyes one zero. Fuck! I was showing off and I was wrong. <laughs> Mic drop. Till then, Nick. Nope. Justin, hit that music. Son of a bitch, <laughs> you're bad at this. Guys and gals, <laughs> Gravity Lab Radio. I suck. I think he would have figured it out after 89 episodes. Dude, 90s next. Oh my. God. Will we have a special guest for 100? I hope oh, so. That, oh. I don't know. Nick, you know who it is. Help oh. me figure it out. Oh my sausage. Ah. <laughs>